Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking sports locally and nationally. Join the conversation on our social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome back for another edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. I am your host, Ken, and joining me in studio as always, it's Padawan J. Uh, guys, I'm going to elect to kick uh, to start. Oh, wait, sorry, sorry, I'll defer, defer. Deferring to the one and only, your coach, my coach, the coach, Coach Duffy. Is it, it's It's not too late to delete this, right? We can <laughs> We can go back. It's cool. It's cool. We can delete this. It will never leave the stadium. All right? It's cool. This is not the call you were it's looking cool. for. Ah, well played. Thank you. Thank you. Guys, how's the week going? Uh, for me, amazingly. Right on. Right on. I mean, you know, Giants won. Eli, you know, swan song. So uh, I guess all's right in the world. I don't even know what the Knicks did, so I'm cool with that. That's great. I don't even know who they are. Cole Anthony's hurt. That was a bummer. Yeah. I know. I mean, I know we're Duke guys, but I love, I love me. I know the minute I'm in rather we're gonna talk about that around the bases because I want to give some time for that. Yeah, and uh, you know my picks were all right. Fantasy was a bum year. Yeah, I think I think fantasy was probably the worst year ever. It figures out of the two leagues I was in for fantasy football, the one where I had Drew Brees, who of course went off last night. You know, four touchdowns, five thousand yards, whatever it was. I was not in fantasy playoffs for that. Figures. No, I was. I was, and I got bounced out. But one thing triumphed overall. And that was the mighty, mighty Buffalo Bills got locked in for the playoffs. That's right. Yes, this is true. Which I apologize to my neighbors for all the tables that were broken on Sunday night late and um, the amount of sticks renegade that I was blaring out the windows at about (laughs) 2 o'clock in the morning. It is well-deserved. Thank you, thank you very much. But before we jump into that, let's run down where you can join in the conversation, shall we? OchoDuroParleyHour.com. It has all the links to our social media accounts. Join in that conversation because we definitely want to interact with you. we got a lot to talk about in the land of sports this week. And remember, use the hashtag ODPH when you want to join in so we can find you on social media. Let's waste a more time, shall we? Let's talk some locks and leaps. Pad has the crown right now. Two weeks left. Reigning, defending, undisputed. He's two points ahead of Rich right now from 3FN. Uh So why don't you kick us off for your locks and leaps? Sure. Uh, For my lock, I chose the Baltimore Ravens to defeat the New York Jets. Uh, I believe the point spread at one point was like 10 points or something like that. Uh, Didn't matter. Baltimore Ravens soundly defeated the New York Jets by a final score of 42-21. to Lamar Jackson, 15 of 23 for 212 yards passing. Five touchdowns passing. uh, No interceptions. Uh, On the ground, eight carries for 86 yards, uh, no touchdowns. And then on the flip side, Sam Darnold, 18 of 32 for 218 yards passing, uh, two touchdowns and one interception. Coach, your thoughts. Can we give Lamar Jackson every offensive award possible? Yes. No, because I'm still swinging for uh, Stephon Gilmore to get some sort of offensive award with how he's been playing. he He is revolutionizing the quarterback play, and not since, you know, Vic. And can you imagine, like, if they would have been able to run the the option the way that they are now? Because, I mean, the, the Cowboys tried to dabble when they had Carter back there in, like, 2001, mm. 2002, that year after yeah. Aikman retired. Right. And they tried running. I mean, it just got just killed. Like, they couldn't, you know, they couldn't run it. Everybody, the speed in the NFL is too fast. You know, you can't run the option against these kind of players. Defensive ends are too smart. Linebackers are too smart. You know, you're not going to be able to out-scheme them. And then all of a sudden, you know, with uh, Urban Meyer, really, 
and the yeah. revolution of the spread offense and this ability to run the read option north and south versus running it east to west like you used to or out of the pit like you do at Navy and, and Army, um, you know, it it is transcendent. I mean, this offense is – and once you think that you have it figured out, they put another wrinkle in. And then, then they run the, the veer options, and they run the speeds to the outside, and they run – I mean, every time you think that – and, I mean, New England is a perfect example of this. You would think that if any team would be able to grasp an offensive concept and m- handle it in the second half, it would be them, and they couldn't. So this team is going to be very, very difficult to stop for as long as Lamar Jackson stays healthy. Yeah, I agree. I think that – he is by far and away the league MVP. I don't even think there's a discussion anymore. Nothing against Patrick Mahomes or Drew Brees. He has it locked up. Yeah. The way that he has taken over this team and really give an offensive identity to Baltimore, which when was the last time we could say that? Trent Delfer, maybe. Ooh, you took a shot there, my friend. <laughs> Not a, I mean, I'm being, I'm being <laughs> genuine, like. I mean, talk about the fact that last year you had Flacco, Mm -hmm. you know, who was the starter, and obviously they had some packages where Lamar would come in. But all in all, the offense was ran and dictated through by, you know, um, Flacco as the the quarterback. Right. And you want to talk about somebody who was immobile. Yeah. You know, yeah. that is Joe Flacco. Well, and that was the issue with Flacco, at least from what I remember, was, okay, he's, you know, he's a pocket passer, but he never had any, like, huge threats where, oh, you got to, like, double cover this guy, or, oh, you got to have, like, two guys ready to block this running back. You know, he was serviceable, and he got the job done. I mean, Christ, he won him a Super Bowl and won MVP. But Lamar Jackson's got just that extra, you know, intangible where, okay, yeah, he can run, but he can also pass. He can. I mean, that was the knockout of him coming out of college, that he couldn't pass. The accuracy was there. The right. Strength. Well, that was the thing I was reading. I forget where. I, it was an article I was reading last week where, according to some sources from, I think it was Pro Football Talk or something like that, where you know, a lot of organizations are now going to their scouting departments and going, look back at the footage. What did the Ravens see that we all missed? Well, the Ravens were willing to take a shot with him and adapt their offense to his abilities. That's the thing that a lot of NFL teams don't like doing because you think about it, how much success has a mobile quarterback, like on the Michael Vick level, on Lamar Jackson level, Mm -hmm. consistently had throughout the years? Well, the the thing to that that everybody always associates is Steve Young. Yeah, was sure, obviously sure. you know a, a mobile quarterback who could get outside the pa- the pocket, and everybody said, "Oh, well, he'll never win a Super Bowl," and he'll even say, "I didn't win a Super Bowl until I started to stay in the pocket." Yeah, but I think the difference is is that this Baltimore offense is so dynamic and so explosive that his ability to get on the outside and be in space is the difference between what Steve Young was doing back then when it was just the pocket broke down and he got outside and ran versus this is a design run for the quarterback to get into space and be one-on-one with a corner or safety and then just run by him, yeah, which yeah. is it, it's night and day difference. Oh, absolutely. They've adapted, and like you touched upon, when you're willing to break the mold and really allow your playmaker to make a play, and Lamar Jackson can make plays, there's no question of that. It really shows what he can do if you fully let him go and, and play the game, not have to you know force him into your system, force him to be a pocket passer, which he's not. But he makes plays and he moves the chains. Yeah, but he can, he can, though. He can. He can. He can. 
but they allow him to play his game. Right. That well, yeah. that's the difference. Yeah. Is that they uh, with it with Vic like the spread offense wasn't there, so he you know he was like shackled because when he came out of Virginia Tech, they ran the option like mm-hmm. it was old school. You know, I formation, read right, read left. You know, uh, double, you know, triple option right, triple option left. Like they were running those type of sets with Vic at Virginia Tech, and that's what worked. But now, I mean. And I mean, it's not just Urban Meyer who was running the spread. I mean, but he's really the one who took that concept and really honed in on it and made it his own. You know, whether it would Tebow or, you know, the guys that he's had at Ohio State. Um, So it's just, it's a credit to the coaching staff being able to recognize because, I mean, this is what happens a lot of times too is that coaches are so, and we've talked about this before, coaches are so dictate and dictators. That it's their way, their way, their way, their offense, their stuff, their schemes. And to to mold, I mean, a really good way to look. I mean, I remember when Ty, Ty Willingham became uh, the Notre Dame head coach. Uh, they had a option quarterback in Carlisle Holiday. But he wanted to run a Stanford traditional West Coast offense. And he didn't have the players for it. And mm-hmm. Notre Dame suffered that year, which could have been a year, not maybe a national title run, but they could have been really, really good. But it's because, you know, he wasn't willing to bend his offensive schemes to run to fit the players that he had. And that's what Harbaugh's done here. He has changed his offensive philosophy from what it was the last, I mean, what, seven, eight years of Flacco to now a whole, I mean, this is literally a 180 offense. It's not like they just changed, implemented different things. They 180 degree turned this offense around. Well, I think the thing we need to, like, yes, he's good. Yes, he's dynamic. I think we got to wait and see how this goes because the, the, the person we keep bringing up, Michael Vick, you know, he's the most comparable person we can put to Lamar Jackson in recent memory. You know, looking at his rushing yards career, okay, yeah, he had the 1,000-yard rushing season, and he's known as the the running quarterback and changed the dynamic of quarterbacks everywhere. But you look at his rushing numbers, it was peaks and valleys. I mean, in, in 2004, he had 902 rushing yards. The following season was 597. You know, and then uh, 2006, he had the 1,000-yard rushing season. Uh, 2009, he looked... Uh, started in one game and only had 95 rushing yards so there was something going on there uh 2010 he only had 676 rushing yards so like rushing quarterback but it's peaks and valleys i kind of want to wait and see okay yes he can run yes he can pass but what level is he going to be able to do this at well i think that's where the difference comes in with vic that they they weren't running the spread yeah. they weren't running yeah. the, they weren't running the pr- the pistol you know, read option where it's you know the line the running back lines up behind you and you're reading the the defensive end. It was before it was designed runs, just straight up like shotguns, power you know power runs, right? And then also play breakdown. Vic gets on the outside. You know, there's no spy, and next thing you know, he's already you know 30 yards in front of the pocket. So that's kind of the difference between the two. I my my thing is, and the same thing that happened to Robert Griffin the third. And this is what scares me is that the overuse. Yeah. Mm. I know that he is uh, in a different mold, mm-hmm. but the amount of hits that you take, because yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, I don't think he probably weighs right now. I mean, physically weighs more than 216 from what I just saw in no, that interview. I'll give you that. I mean, so just the physical demand. I mean, there's a reason why running backs weigh 230, 240. There's a reason why, because they take a pounding. There's a reason why offensive linemen weigh the amount that they weigh because the physical demand on their position takes that sort of extra body weight to be able to take that punishment. So when you're talking about a running back who's sub 200 pounds or 220, 
constantly getting hit by these linebackers who weigh 250, 260. It's only a matter of time. I mean, it's unfortunate to say it, but no, but it's an. I mean, it's it's honest statement. I mean, science, you know, facts are facts. You know, you get hit by a car moving 10 miles per hour, it's not going to hurt as much as a car moving 30 miles per hour. Well, and just to give you some numbers here, uh, for his career, Michael Vick made 873 rushing attempts. Uh, Lamar Jackson, so that's over the course of, uh, I believe it's, uh, what is this here? Uh, 10. 10, 6, 11, 12, 13. So about 13 seasons in the NFL, he had 837 rushing attempts. Lamar Jackson in two seasons has 306. Yeah. Well, like, but like Coach touched upon, Vic was forced to run an offense that really didn't suit him. Yeah, right. Jackson has the ability to make the offense his, but Coach brings up a great point. How long can you maintain this mm-hmm. level? And it's just because the spread – I mean, again, I can't, I can't reiterate this enough because I always feel so stupid when people are like Urban Meyer's names associated to – certain jobs, whether it's the right. Giants or the right. Cowboys, because I'm always like, oh, the spread can't work in the NFL. Like, Urban Meyer's coaching style can't work in the NFL. But you look at what the Ravens are doing, it is almost his playbook. Yeah. I mean, it not yeah. not verbatim, because Ohio State is a pure shotgun team, and I just I don't think you can 100% run out of the shotgun and pistol in the NFL. I think you got to line up under center and, you know, dive right, dive left. Like, you can't be a, a successful team and not line up under center. But Urban Meyer's offense works. It's, yeah. it's right in front of you. It just depends it, if you have the right players. Right, and, and it's and personnel. that's exactly what I was going to say. It can work, and we might have seen instances in the past where they tried it and it didn't work, but they didn't have the right pieces in place. Well, yes and no, because, I mean, with Dallas, it was when they ran it in a 102, it's just they weren't running it correctly. They, ha- I mean, Anthony Carter was an absolutely yeah. dynamic quarterback back yeah. in the day. I mean, the kid didn't get a fair shake, but he could absolutely stretch the field. I mean, it's just they weren't implementing it right. And then all of a sudden when the, when this revolution came out of the spread and the changes that occurred with it, now all of a sudden it's like, these guys know what they're doing, and defensive ends and linebackers are lost. Yeah, I mean, that's the one thing. that In this day and age, teams are getting smarter, teams are catching up, and teams are really really identifying playmakers like that. Yeah. Like with Quincy, I think it's Quincy Carter. Qu- yes, Quincy Carter. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 You're right, yeah, you're right. Okay. When he was running in Dallas, yeah, I mean, he was not at that level like Lamar Jackson is. And for the, what the playmakers they had down in Dallas, it just didn't really suit the the spread offense. This one they built in Baltimore is just perfect yeah. for everybody they have involved. Well, the interesting thing to see, you know, come next season is going to be, okay, the, the offense is dynamic and it's amazing and it's great now, but you give some of these, you know, organizations and coaching staffs, you know, that are done here in a couple of weeks, what, six months, seven months, whatever the, the length of time is between the end of the season and, the, and preseason and the regular season next year, that amount of time to sit there and just day in and day out go over this and go, all right, you know, teams like Pittsburgh, Cincy, uh, uh, Cleveland to the, you know the next six seven months to sit there and go all right we know we're going to be playing this guy twice a year for the next ten plus years let's sit down here in two three times a week sit here and dissect this and really come up with something that's going to be the interesting thing to see is okay you had a great year you're going to give teams the next six seven months after the seasons over to really dissect your plays and you're going to have to come up with ways to beat what they've now come up with. Well, I think the even scarier point is you might have Belichick in the playoffs. That's what I want to see. Yeah. I want to see round two. Yeah. Because if there is any defensive mind who can devise a scheme and come up with something that will solve this, it's him. Yeah. And and if he can't, I don't really know if anybody can because honestly, you know, 
I mean, just for an example, I mean, when Nordane plays like a team like Navy, they prep two weeks out mm-hmm. because you have to for that offense. Yeah. So when you go from playing, you know, um, you know, well, Josh Allen runs a little bit of it too in Buffalo, but when you go from like playing the Jets where yeah. Darnold's not yeah. going to run, you know, they 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 might run it every once in a while, but it's very few and far they're between. Very one-dimensional. Yeah, like and or when you play like, uh, uh, you know, even a Denver team right now or. Uh, you know, one of these teams with uh, Philip Rivers and Sandy, you know, in Los Angeles, like an older quarterback who doesn't run. So you play them, yeah. And then the following week, you have to go and play, you know, uh, Lamar Jackson and Baltimore. Yeah, like you can't prepare for that. Like you have because you have to give the respect to Los Angeles and prepare for them. And then now all of a sudden you're up against this offense, and now you're re- you have to reteach your defense yeah. everything. Yeah. The one thing that scares me, and I know you just brought this up, is about Josh Allen plays a somewhat similar style that the Jackson does. Just they run a run. little read option, right? That's giving enough little play, uh, a little tape there to the Patriots so they can start picking up on a little bit, mm. little here. Yeah, I, I mean, just, it just as a fan in me. I'm not yeah, saying that, yes that and no, but because d- when they run it with him, it, you don't know that it's coming necessarily. Like with Baltimore, you know pretty much you know on a first coming, and yeah. ten or a second. You, or you're s- running a you're running a QB spy almost every play. Yeah, yeah. like you know on a second and uh, second and six, like the chances that a read options coming your way is pretty high. Um, but I mean, now with more and more quarterbacks coming in that are of that skill level, I mean, Patrick Mahomes, mm-hmm. same, you know, similar skill level, uh, you know, with the speed, Deshaun Watson, you know, more and more of these guys are coming out. I mean, the quarterback class that's coming out this year, um, outside of, um, Georgia's, um, quarterback, you know, all these guys are, are now coming from this spread offense that, you know, more and more of these players are going to be running it and it's only going to inevitably be the norm no i fully agree i mean we're gonna see a lot of copycat teams in there and just the cream will rise to the top yeah i mean that's that's how it's going to be ultimately done i mean to wrap this up for the game i mean baltimore just set the example how good was the post game press conference uh oh, interviews with Ingram. mark Ingram? yeah mark Ingram. that was funny absolutely kills me i mean sorry you know big trust and it just goes completely off the rails with that i love it every time and for the jets i mean what can you really say uh, the season is a wash uh, Darnold, yeah. since he's returned from mono, has looked okay. Yeah. I mean, he's been serviceable. He's been I think serviceable. there's something to build on. I mean, your number one wide receiver is Roby Anderson. Yeah. And, yeah, the one bright spot on my fantasy team this and, week. And Crowder. Yeah. I mean, a, a washout from Washington. So yeah. it's like. I mean, they've got some pieces to build around with, but they need a lot of other stuff. Well, they need a number one. They got to yeah. get a number yeah. one wide receiver out there. Yeah. Fully agree. I mean, they're going to have a busy offseason. I hear, you know, talks about trading Jamal Adams and Le'Veon Bell and all that nonsense, which is crazy. Well, at to this me. point, though, why, you know, if this late in the season, just hold on to them and rebuild for next year. I mean, go yeah. get some offensive linemen. Yeah. Go get a number one wide receiver. The defense is very good. Yeah. I mean, they have a lot of potential. It's like, that's why I said, I mean, just build for 2020. You know, I mean, that's what their focus should be on right now is building for 2020. Absolutely, because if you have a solid defense and you can definitely make some moves in the offseason to build your offense up, things can happen. Like, let's take a look at that leap, shall we, that everybody took except one person in locks and leaps this week. And that was Ron. Ron took the Cardinals. We're not going to talk about the Cardinals. We are going to talk about the leap that went through a bunch of tables. Mm-hmm. Had 
break down that beautiful score. Also, this was a game that was originally supposed to be, what, 425, I believe, and got flexed into the Sunday night football spot. Uh, it was the Buffalo Bills traveling down to the Steel City, Pittsburgh, to take on the Pittsburgh Steelers on Sunday night, primetime, and Buffalo ended up coming out with the win. Final score, 17-10. Uh, Josh Allen, 13 of 25 for 139 yards passing, one touchdown, one interception. Uh, Devlin Hodges, 23 of 38 for 202 yards, one touchdown, four interceptions. Coach, your thoughts. Yeah, I've got a little bit of a bone to pick with your head coach up there in, okay. in Buffalo. Okay. There's about one one minute plus left on the clock. Mm. You have arguably the second biggest arm at quarterback mm-hmm. in Josh Allen in the NFL. Yeah. I mean, only Mahomes probably outthrows him. You know, yeah. end zone to end zone. Mm-hmm. And you run two plays and you get down to a third and a second and six. And you, or second, excuse me, it was a second and four. Yep, a second and four. Yeah, and you run a right draw mm-hmm. to the running back that kills about 30 seconds off the clock. You get the first down, but then you kneel. Yeah. And you were at the, I want to say around 35, 36 yard line. Easily could have ran one more play, get it to, you know, even a third and two. All right, so let's just say, worst case scenario, it's third and six. All right. So you run the ball, you know, now there's a minute 40 down to maybe 36, 34 seconds left. Mm. Pittsburgh had two timeouts at the time. You punt, you get them within, I mean, obviously you can definitely punt it to within the 20. So yeah. now they have two timeouts with probably 23 seconds left. Mm-hmm. Come on. Pittsburgh at that point of the game was definitely not, and with the, who they have at quarterback, was not going to try and drive down with 23 seconds. If Big Ben was in, yeah, they might have pushed the pace a little bit. But no, you know they're going to kneel out the clock and go into the locker room. I will be the first to tell you McDermott can't manage games. <laughs> I'll be the first one to tell you. When he gets down to the two minutes of any quarter, he is not good with his clock management. Yeah, that's... No, I, I, I said this last year. I know there was a game that uh, when uh, Tyrod was in. Right. It was two seasons ago, I think. And they had to drive all the way down the field, and he's, like, calling run plays on his own uh, 45. Like, I get the idea behind it because, A, you want to get the first down. You know Pittsburgh's looking for the pass. No. So a draw works. My problem is that your quarterback has a freaking cannon. Yeah, no, yeah. He, drive the ball. That's exactly you're right, and that's the thing when he gets with Dabble and they, like I said, when they get to the final minutes of games, they make me very nervous. Yeah, and I don't and, blame you. And that's one thing we saw with Baltimore, right? The week right. prior is they were pressing too much at the wrong times for Josh to throw downfield, and it's like no, you just need like a quick five yard pass to keep the drive going. You have right. plenty of time, but they get I I don't know why they do it, but they hit that two minute warning and it is like the sky is falling. Batting down the hatches, we need to score this play, and it's like no. I th- I think part of the problem is I just uh, inexperienced at quarterback. I mean, you look at teams that have successful two minute you know warnings. Mm-hmm. You know, it's guys that have poise under the pocket. Not to say that this is Josh Allen's problem because I mean it's obviously play calling. Yeah, it's play it's, calling. More. It's you know like the Giants were so good at the two minute warning because Eli just had the ability to decipher you know, what the defense was giving him and execute whatever the play was given. Mm-hmm. I mean, besides Tom Brady, I would take Eli very easily at number two for a last-minute drive, without question. I mean, Over Aaron Rodgers? Okay. I mean, No, no, I, I, I'm just... Hey, I mean, wait, whoa, 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 we'll, we'll sidebar here real quick. 
Eli has two Super Bowl game-winning drives under two minutes left to go in a game. Fair two point. against the New England Patriots. Aaron Rodgers, yeah, very dynamic, can absolutely win a game. I'm just saying when I when I'm talking about who I would want, I I I, I would definitely take Eli. But I, maybe I'm just a little biased because of the fact that he gets knocked so much. And I mean, I'll I'll talk more Eli later, mm. but. I mean, you got to be able to execute with two minutes left to go. You have to. Oh, I that agree. is that is what is going to you know. And this Saturday is a very good example of that. That this game could very easily be, especially with how New England's played lately. And I'm sorry, Pat, you might want to earmuff it because it hasn't been very good. No, I'll admit it. Okay, um, <laughs> <laughs> we're very honest. Yeah, remember, remember, remember my take last week. Yeah, 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 I know. Yeah. yeah, well, it's not much better. Uh, I I really think that this game could be a 14 to 17 New England winning with the Bills having the ball with about a minute 30 left to go. And you know what? I fully agree with you. And whether or not they can execute is going to be the problem. Well, this is where Josh Allen is really going to need to step up. And he has been doing great. Don't don't get me wrong. His progression from when he took the starting role to now. Yeah, I mean, if you, well. if you look at the rookies in his draft class, yeah. He's doing the best. He's definitely doing the best. I mean, Mayfield and that mess is in Cleveland right now, which I'm sorry. Cleveland needs to fire Kitchens. They are not going to get anywhere with him. Oh, that, my that God. Yeah. That he ship, is. And it's getting worse. Way now the, overhead. The players are turning on each other, which we can get into a little later. Ugh. Darnold, okay, granted, you had Mono this year. You can kind of put an ass Showed a little it. bit as a rookie. Showed a little bit, but not enough to really seal the deal. I sure. Mean, I mean, he has the physical tools, but mentally – we have to wait and see, and his interception ratio is way too high for my comfort level. Agreed. Josh Rosen, where are you playing now? Because I honestly don't remember. Uh, uh, still Miami? Or is yes, he, he yeah. is the backup behind Ryan Fitzpatrick still. They no. stopped, they stopped playing uh, musical chairs. Enough said. All right, yeah. so he's done. Fair. So looking at that class, Josh Allen has been the diamond in the rough, so to speak, for the Bills, and he has been the character that needs to carry the city on his back because he gets very amped up when he's talking about Buffalo. And to be in a small market team, you hear either one or two things out of most players. Either they're saying, get me out of town, o- you know, Odell Beckham Jr., or you're saying, I'm embracing what's here and let's build something, like our Aaron Rodgers type. Either way, Allen has really stepped his game up and really shown flashes of brilliance. Consistency with him is the one thing that's going to either make or break the Bills. Defensively, they are amazing. Trevius White, what can you say there? What can you say? He's the best cornerback in the league behind Stephen Gilmore. I was like Gilly Gilly. Uh, Gilmore has more interceptions than touchdowns on for receivers he's covered this year. Yeah, but Tre'Davious White. I mean, he sealed the game right there. I mean, he's been on an uh, interception roll right now. And I will agree with you because I was looking up some play, but like I, I remember watching the end of the game, but I couldn't remember specifically. Buffalo does have to get better at the end of the game when it comes to killing the clock and taking care of things because at the end of the game they took over the possession after that interception with mm. a bu- with a buck fifty four left. So first and ten on Buffalo's twenty. They had Franco run up the middle for four yards, uh, but then uh, Pittsburgh took a timeout, which uh, the clock at that point was down to a minute 49 left. They did another Frank Gore run for two yards, uh, but and then Pittsburgh took another timeout at 143. That, so at this point, it's third and four. Then you had Frank Gore with another run for no gain, uh, and then you had an offensive holding call penalty declined yeah so then it was fourth and four and then you punted it so you went you three and out and only shaved 23 seconds off the clock and and gave pittsburgh that shot at the end and i'm like ooh, that's a little bit of time i'm i realize this isn't you know peyton manning tom brady drew Brees, aaron Rodgers at the end of a game but you gave a quarterback 
who who's shown he can throw. Yeah, duck duck can throw. Duck can throw, but like you can really you had the ball left ball with like a, under two minutes to play, and you can only shave twenty three seconds off. No, I fully agree. I mean, that's a play calling right there. That's your coaching decision. Allen just runs the plays, but what he needs to get smarter about is okay. If we got to kill time, let's run. Call some audibles. Do what you need to. Yeah, but you don't know if he's – that's the thing, though. You right. don't know what freedom he has. Right, but that's going to be one of those situations as a quarterback you got to take over, so to speak, and, and make a call there, like do an mm-hmm. audible, do what you yeah. need to. That's where he's going to need to do. Has he shown some growth there? Yes. Is he there yet? No, I'll be the first one to tell you he's not. But if he continues progressing like he is, the Bills will be okay. I'm not saying they're going to win the chip this year, but we're in the dance at least. Well, I'll give you some good news that is championship-winning chemistry. DNA. That's six of one on the road this year. That's yeah, very good. No, they've hung together. They played well. They have bended, and even if they haven't gotten the wins, like I said, the one loss they had, they've stayed in games. And they, they haven't had any losses this year that you're coming out going that was ugly. Oh, they had one early in the season there, right? But I'm not talking yeah, like yeah. blowouts against the team you should have beaten. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they've had some chances where, like, I thought Miami was going to sneak one out against sure, them. Sure. And they get dancing around. It's just like it gets. Yeah, but games like those happen. Yeah, no, you know, I, I mean, you're right. You're right. Even to the best teams. Hello, you Miami know, Miracle two years ago. Yeah, I mean, every even great teams have a hiccup here and there. It's just the difference is the great teams are the ones that, all right, you know, things aren't in our favor right now. What can we do to still pull yeah. us out? And the great yeah. teams do that. Yeah, and the Bills are getting on that direction, too. Like I said, I love what they've been doing up there. And like I say, if anything is going to cost them, it's going to be McDermott's play calling and Dabble's play calling late when it counts. Allen's going to have to be the one to make some plays and make some stuff happen, and that just goes to show with growth over time. I mean, the fact that we've gotten here this far with him, and he has a monster defense behind him. I mean, Lawson's been playing great. Ed Oliver's finally stepped up to that yeah. draft position they took him. They have the place, players in place that they can make a good run because, as we've seen over the years, if your defense is hot when you get in the playoffs and you can stop a good offense – you can go very, very far. Yeah, I mean, really, it's once the playoffs come and things tighten, it's really just about riding your defense. Yeah, yeah, and especially they did what they needed to do, which was beat the third-string quarterback of Pittsburgh, even though Duck Hodges has played well. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But, but he did show why he's the third-string guy with the four interceptions because yeah. he tried I'm, forcing too much late. I mean, that that also, though, is a credit to Buffalo's defense. Yeah, no, it I is. I mean, four interceptions definitely lands on uh, a QB's shoulders, but – when you're seeing things and bodies and you got to get the ball out, it's tough, you know, especially well, on a quarterback that hasn't seen it much. Well, oh, yeah. and, a, and a third string quarterback that isn't playing exactly with the offensive weapons you might th- like. Right. At, at the start of the season, you say, all right, Big Ben's going to get hurt, second string guy's going to get hurt, and then this third string guy's going to come in. In your head, you're thinking, all right, well, he's going to have James Conner, he's going to have Juju Smith Schuster, the number two guy there in, in Pittsburgh, and maybe the number three guy. So he'll be good. He didn't have Juju Smith-Schuster. Among and, and Connor's been spotty. I mean, spotty at best. Yeah, Connor has definitely not had a really great season. But at least the Bills did what they needed to. The Steelers, to get this far as they have, I mean, they're still in the playoff talk for that sixth spot. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I would put, if they do make it, I think Tomlin's got to be in discussion for Coach of the Year. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. I mean, oh, absolutely. You have to put him in that discussion. For what he's done with a rotating cast of players yeah, yeah. to get him this far. Although, to be fair, we said the same thing with Aaron Boone and the Yankees, and look how that went. Yeah, but same I think... Same thing might happen to Tomlin. It, same thing might. No, that's, very, that's a very good point, but it just depends on your coaching and what's happening there. Because, like I say, you could have a great season one year and then fall off. Kind of what happened with our lock, dare I oh. say, coach. Cause, God. I mean, Go ahead. 
I don't even. Uh, so, oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. So since they won't talk about it, uh, the, that they picked the Los Angeles Rams to defeat the Dallas Cowboys because on paper it's a good pick. No. Uh, to that point, the Dallas Cowboys were what zero six against teams with a winning record. Yep. Uh, coming into this game, the LA Rams were eight and five. So hey. Looks like it should be a win for the Rams. Uh, however, that was not the case. Uh-huh. Dallas uh, decided to win by the final score of 44-21. Uh, Dak Prescott, 15 of 23 for 212 yards passing, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Jared Goff, 33 of 51 for 284 yards passing, two touchdowns, one interception. Give him the rushing stats, though. Yeah, yeah that's Dallas. what I want to touch on. Yeah, yeah so uh, Zeke Elliott, uh, 24 carries for 117 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, Tony Pollard, 12 carries for 131 yards. Uh, one touchdown on the Dallas side. Flipping it over to the Rams side, uh, Jared Goff, three carries for two yards. And Todd Gurley, 11 carries for 20 yards and one touchdown. And if the stat I heard on first take on Monday morning was correct, uh, Todd Gurley in the first half, two rushing yards. So, I mean, Dallas remembered to run the ball. Yes. They remembered who they're paying the most in that backfield. Yeah. I, I have seen an increase <laughs> of downloads in Dallas, so to who is listening to us on the coaching staff, you're welcome. Yeah, yeah for real. Because I mean, to be fair, though, like every sports talk show and sports TV show has been saying oh, no, Yeah, no, no. but, you know, I really hammered it home last week. Yeah. I mean, I really, really went in deep. I'm going to give myself the pat on the back on that Yeah, one, we're taking credit I for really, this Because I really went in on that. Well played, coach. Well, played. well, I mean, my God, you paid the man. Give the man the ball. And that's been the one thing that Dallas hasn't done for whatever for reason. For whatever reason. Well, it's because they've been down. They they start they start they hot. They start, thanks, Thanksgiving night is literally the the it's, epitome it's, of this discussion because agreed. they ran the ball the entire first drive. Mm-hmm. But then all of a sudden they got a field goal. Yeah. Then Buffalo went up 14 to 3 and then poof. Yeah, they stopped running. Where's Ezekiel? So Zeke's uh, most rushing attempts or rush whatever uh, this season was in their week six game against the Dallas, or excuse me, against the New York Jets, where he rushed 28 times. Uh, this is this game was 24 times, which was his second most uh, but plus rushes. Pollard's 14. Yeah, so they rushed 38 times. Yeah. Total. yeah, yeah. And let's not even forget about the fact that this is his first 100 yard game in like four weeks at least. It's so a, it's an insane stat, and just the fact that they finally got it together. Look what happens. You win a game. Yeah. Wow. Oh, you mean running the ball wins games? Yeah. You can run the ball even when you're losing? Yeah, it's insane Ooh. that it took them this long to figure it out. Yeah. Because they have the talent. They do. Oh, oh, Lord, yeah. I mean, you look at their receiving core between Amari Cooper, you know, Randall Cobb, and Michael Gallup, among others. They got a good, solid offensive core there. I and mean, and right. we and all they, know about the line. Yeah, they have arguably the best offensive line. Let me give you a scary <laughs> idea. What if Lamar Jackson was playing behind oh, that offensive God. line? Oh my Could you God. imagine? <laughs> It'd be Duffy's worst nightmare. 2,000 I mean, yards rushing. Dak could easily have a similar role. I mean, he's not as explosive, but no, he can but, run the ball. But he can run. But if you thought if, if Jackson was behind that line, yeah, forget 2,000 yards no, running. Especially with Ezekiel. I mean, Mark yeah. Ingram is a 1,000-yard running back in that Baltimore system. Mark Ingram, yeah. who, mind you, is a serviceable running back. Serviceable, but not, not great. Not great. Not at this point of his career. No, I listen. We we went over this. We bash. We beat it to death last week. We beat it week, death the week before. You're paying Ezekiel Elliott the most money as a running back in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Give the guy the ball. Pay. Put. Give the get your return on your investment. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy the fact that it was week after week after week. Oh, Dallas lost. Oh, well. Zeke only had three, 10 carries. Say three three game losing sh- yeah. uh, streak broken. And I mean, now you look at the NFC East with, you know, Philly winning. It was really funny because I was having 
Olivia had like a little softball uh, Christmas party, and I heard uh, somebody, an Eagle fan, yeah, the Philadelphia's in, you know, the Eagles are in first place, ho hum, you know, and they're, you know, bragging and tooting their horn. Yeah, well, that was short lived. Yeah, that was only what a couple hours. Yeah, it was only yeah. it was only till nine o'clock. Well, and the only reason they're not in first place is because Dallas has a better divisional uh, record at four and zero. Philly is three and one. I just it was wicked funny to me because I mean, as much as I hate Dallas, I also hate Philly. So to hear somebody just yeah, we're in first place at seven and seven and boasting and bragging about that, that's, that's I was not like, brag about. yeah, I would. That was definitely not something I would be like, oh yeah, ho hum about you know. That'd be that'd be something that like you know I might say to like a casual football fan who might watch them games but they don't follow as closely i'd say yeah i like the eagles and we're in first place and neglect to leave out the record right like if, well they i mean they didn't say that i'm just in my head when they oh, were cheering okay. about it i'm like yeah you're first place at seven and seven yeah uh, congratulations yeah. All, but all i can think about is just the fact that i mean this matchup now on sunday is huge i don't know how it's not getting flexed to the sunday night game yeah because if, if i'm not mistaken i thought they already flexed kansas city and chicago so Ooh, i could be wrong did they about flex that? that well no that's the eight o'clock game right that's but, I, but I, that's a bad game to have at eight o'clock i thought they already did that it was i thought that was though. scheduled i could be wrong about yeah this. i mean either way that game should be prime time because that game is literally for the division because whoever wins this game pretty much has control of the division because week 17 will be a wash yeah because no, if dallas you. wins They'll be five and zero in the division, and Philly will have two losses. So even if Philly wins the following week, Dallas already has. They'll be six. They'll be five and one in the division. Philly will be five and two or four and two, and it's over. You know. So I mean, next week is huge. Next week is very huge, and for Dallas, now that you found, uh, you're, you remembered rather, should I say, you have a great running back. <laughs> Run him. See what happens, and you want you wind up dropping forty four on a Rams oh. defense. That I mean, what happened? What I, happened this I year? I don't know. I, I don't mean, know. Did McVay and everybody get figured out? Because honestly, Todd Gurley, uh, which by the way, thank you for crashing my fantasy team the week prior and mine, and then oh. not showing up this yeah, week. yeah, and then not showing up this week. I appreciate. Yeah. it. I mean, he still got me like 14, 15 points. So. Yeah, but now they're my least favorite team in the NFC West. I I'm listen. Sorry. I don't understand what I mean. Obviously, they lost a lot of defensive pieces last year. Um, you know, they let Sue go. They let uh, they let the corner go. Clean. I mean, I know that they brought in Ramsey, um, but the sa- they released the safety. They bring in uh, AJ Hawk from Green Bay. So I mean, they brought in some pieces, but a lot of pieces were lost. That defense is bad. Yeah, you know, and it's been bad all year. You know, it's just the offense was able to make up for the poor defensive play. Um, but this, I mean, this Rams team, obviously Gurley is, is being inconsistent, so who knows what's going on there. you got to run the ball more than 11 times. Yeah. I, it's plain and simple. I mean, that offense, and McVay will say it, is based on play action, and if you're only running 11 times and you're dropping Jared Goff back the remainder of the plays, he, he unfortunately he's just not successful that way. No. He, he's very good off play action. Yeah. You know, Getting him outside the pocket, even on some rollouts out of play action, is very successful that way. But when you ask him, hey, we need five, seven-step dropbacks, and we need you to first read, second read, third read, that's when you get him. And that's exactly what Dallas did. That's what they did, and you know what? The Rams had no answer for it. None. And that's and that's why they're going to be sitting outside looking in. I don't think they make playoffs. Did some, re- no did some research. It looks like it was announced during the uh, Sunday afternoon games that the Sunday night game this coming week would be staying the same. Okay. Why? 
I don't know. Well, it, it's ungodly. It, it, it's this. It's what was scheduled, so well, it didn't get flexed into it. But it was announced during the Sunday afternoon games that that would. So be Fox can protect the game. They do have the right. So maybe, oh, maybe that's maybe they tried, and Fox was like, because eh, eh. <laughs> when, I, when I was doing some research. You know the the article I was reading was speculating that you know for them to make a decision they would have NBC would have had to have waited until after Sunday night football and, and maybe they and the NFL didn't want to wait until like midnight Eastern to make a decision on what the next week's game was going to be. Maybe yeah. I, maybe I just had flex on the brain since the Bills got flexed and it was like a miracle has happened because the last time that happened JP Lossman was quarterback mm. and we got exposed by the undefeated Patriots. Well, it's also it's a odd Sunday night game because it's like Chiefs. Bears, yeah. Chiefs, Bears, 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 Bears are Chiefs? out. Yeah, Bears are out. And if I'm not mistaken, Kansas City has the division locked up. So, I mean, I guess they would have assumed great offense versus great defense. Uh-huh. Maybe that's why they made it a Sunday before night the, game before the season. You might have thought that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Before the season, because there was so yeah. much high hopes for Chicago. But I mean, I, I, yeah, I mean, Philly, Dallas should definitely be the Monday night game, but I, or, or Sunday, Sunday night. night game. But uh, yeah, I mean, back the Rams right now, they're a team that's lost. They got to figure out whatever they're going to do for 2020 because, yeah, they're out. There's no way, you know, given the fact, what, are they 8-6 and six right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, at best, probably 9-7. and seven. I'm sure they probably have two divisional games lined up like the rest of the NFL, so, probably. I mean, that's going to be tough. I'm, I, yeah, they, I'm pretty sure they got the Niners Yep. Uh, again, so that's an L. I mean, so... Yeah, I mean, as far as the Rams stand, you know, it's it's get ready for 2020. I mean, obviously, if Todd Gurley's not right, you got to go out and get another running back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and and not just what they have right now, because I know that they had high hopes uh, for Henderson yeah, and the and other he kid. Pan, he didn't pan out. But they didn't pan out. Like, you got to go get somebody that is like uh, – like a Jay Ajay mm-hmm. would right. be perfect there because he wouldn't be needed to be the every down back and would be able to plug and play. Yeah. You know who would have been perfect? CJ Anderson. Because that's exactly what he did last year when Todd Gurley went down and he played great. So letting him go, probably not the best decision. So yeah, I know he obviously got cut from Detroit too and is now currently a free agent, so it's not like teams are you know, beckoning, kicking his door, yeah, down. kicking his door down. But I mean, hey, sometimes a guy you know fits your system and doesn't work anywhere else, and you got to capitalize on those kind of guys. Yeah, they need to figure something out. And obviously, McVay's a young coach, so these are going to be growing pains. I mean, yeah, well, that, yeah, sure. And everybody that's annoying him as the next Belichick for whatever reason, and just you know, like the going to have the dynasty built. Well, I mean, I think that's the problem though too. Is that I mean, Spagnuolo obviously is gone. Yep. You know, as defensive coordinator, so I think that hurt. And I think that you know, as, as smart as he is, he's not a very—he's not a defensive-minded guy. He's an offensive kind of right. guy, kind mm-hmm. of guy. And for as brilliant as he is, you know, Belichick and, and New England in that Super Bowl really exposed a lot of weaknesses for that offense, especially if you don't have a healthy Gurley. Yeah, they gave the true. Blu- they gave you the blueprint on how to beat him. Any other games we want to talk about since we had a little shorter docket here for our blocks and leaps this weekend? Nothing jumping out to me. I mean, I was I was gonna my rounding the base. I was gonna oh, I was gonna do a nice little serenade to Eli Manning's career. If you want to wait on it, we can. Yeah. Okay. Because I'll just touch upon very quickly. Cleveland, like I touched upon. Freddie okay. Freddie Kitchen's got to go. In there. He's got to go. Kitchen's got to go. Got to go. Got to go. Awful loss for the 49ers <laughs> against who is Atlanta? What is Atlanta? All right. So I mean, we let, hold on. Let's go into this really quick because. There's got to be. I know the rule is the ball is the 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 you know the determination for yards and markers, right? Yeah, yeah. But there has to be a rule change for touchdowns because that is my God. 
the worst kind of way to lose. Yeah. By a guy turning his back and just because of the way that he was carrying the ball, it technically breaks the plane. I mean, I just I don't know if you can change it to where its feet got to be in bounds in the end zone or something, but something has to give because you can't literally just have a guy being turned upside down and because his arm is higher on his shoulder pad and the ball just happens to sit there. Because let's face it, it's not like Julio Jones was putting his arm there in that position. He just got tackled, and by the way he tackled, got tackled, his body turned that way and the ball kind of lifted up to the high part of his shoulder and it just so coincidentally broke the plane. Yeah, it was, a, it was a freak way to end the game for Atlanta yeah. to beat Frisco 29-22 in case anybody didn't catch the game. And Julio Jones had a weird touchdown to end that game. Yeah. It just, like, it's, I mean, it's just, that's the the garbage of the call. Mm-hmm. I mean, and then you have instances where, you know, the I think back to the uh, De- Des Bryant touchdown against Green Bay that was called, you know, no touchdown. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, so wait, a guy can have possession of the ball in the end zone, but then the ball causes the ground causes a fumble. Then it's not ruled a catch because it was in the end zone. But a guy can break the plane because the way that he's tackled, and because of where the ball was positioned on his shoulder, and technically broke the plane, even though he doesn't land in the end zone, then it's a touchdown. Yeah, it's my head spinning. I, it's like, yeah, it's so contradicting of each other. It's like. They need to have some definitive hard cut. Ball and foot must cross line. Ball and body part must cross line. It's something that we figured the NFL would take a look at from the Des Bryant. Uh, yeah. Right. Well, they never did though. They no. all they did was determine what a catch was. Yeah. And that wasn't even clear. Yeah. This one definitely needs to get cleared up because it's just weird and messy. I mean, that's the only way I can describe it because. How they won, and especially for a crucial game for the Niners, because now formerly the number one seed, now they're All the five, the five seed. <laughs> now they're the five. How freaking wild is that? Mm-hmm. I mean, you talk about every game matters at this point. Yeah. Holy smokes, Atlanta, who decided to show up for one week, now they disappear till next season. I mean, if they come back, at I all. mean that's what they do every year. Though yeah. they show up, I mean that's what they've been all week, year. Yeah, they show, show up one week and then the next four they take off. Yeah, they, yeah, they hit their one game quota now, so they disappear till about week four next season. They decide to just play party crasher to the Niners' dream, and obviously they're, they're locked in for the playoffs. So it doesn't really matter. But the one seed is wide open, and mm-hmm. Seattle did what they needed to do. It's going to be a fight to, to the end this week, so it's going to be a lot of great football left to be had. And congratulations, Drew Brees. Yeah. Breaking the uh, all-time touchdown record. Yeah, and we should know there are three games this coming week on Saturday. Yes, yeah, so there's no Thursday night game. Right. It's all Saturday. There's three games, and then Sunday is the last uh, regular Sunday week, I guess. Yeah. So definitely a lot of football to be had. Hit us up on that hashtag, though, hashtag ODPH. What is your takeaways from this week's games of the NFL? Are you happy about the Bills going to the playoffs like I am? Did you throw anybody through tables like I did? I mean, uh, that I would have thought about doing. Who knows? It's going to be kind of a wild week going to recap and going into the playoffs. It's going to be a fun time. Let us know what you thought about this week's games. Hit us up. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, Andrew. Hey, Maddie. Do you like horror movies? I sure do. Well, did you know that most horror movies are inspired by real-life horror? Really? Like what? Well, take The Shining, for instance. That's based on Stephen King's real-life addictions, or The Purge, which could be our country any minute now. Oh, and The Strangers, which is based on a real-life murder. People should be talking about these things. Hey, 
Guys. Oh, oh hey, Producer, producer Michael. Producer Michael, oh, hi. Well, I hate to break it to you, but somebody already is. It's you. <gasps> That's right. We are Friday the 13th, the podcast where we talk about horror in real life and horror in media, all from an LGBTQ perspective. Because we gay, y'all. We are proud members of the Legion Podcast Network, and we can be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever your favorite podcasts are found. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Come along with us on this crazy journey, and as always, get slayed. This is Rich, the host of the Three Fat Nerds podcast and co-host of the Horror Zone 607 podcast. And you are listening to our hashtag 607 podcast brothers, the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. Now kick it back over to Ken Moneybags and the crew. Coming back for segment number two on this edition of the ODPH podcast, and we have to talk some UFC. Mm-hmm. Holy smokes, UFC 245 from Vegas this past weekend. Yes. Wild card. A little bit. Three title fights. Uh-huh. A stacked main card. Yes. Let us deep dive into this, shall we? Sure. So, Pad, kick us off. Well, to kick off the main event, you had Peter Yan uh, defeat Uriah Faber by a head kick uh, 43 seconds into the third round. Yeah, this one kind of went as expected. Yin is yeah. a very highly touted bantamweight. Uriah Faber, the Fountain of Youth at 40, looked great his last fight. Yeah, uh, hung, hung in this one. He definitely hung into the later rounds in this one. Hung but. in this one, but I'm going to borrow from a conversation I had with uh, common man Vince Atoli, uh a couple days ago. Uh, yeah, Uriah Faber, time to retire. Yeah, he's kind of at that stage. I mean, what, I mean, come on. <laughs> it's, it's a young man's game, and fighting at 40 is definitely a disadvantage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were watching with 3FN. Shout out to Rich Ron and, and Diesel uh, over at Dragon Master Games, and we were all kind of in the same consensus. With yeah. This. I mean, it was just one of those situations where it's like Faber, you know, great career. Yeah. Uh, never got the UFC gold, though. I no. mean, it was a cornerstone of the WEC, but yeah. at, at this stage – Fighting is a young man's game and young woman's game. If he would have gone maybe the distance and maybe lost the decision by split decision, I might be able to sit here and go, ah, you know what, give him another shot. We'll see how it goes. But you know what, you got head kicked, you know, knocked out in the third round. Yeah, game's passed you by. Yeah, definitely not his night. And My I favorite mean, walkout song of all time, though, I will say that. Oh, yeah, well, he comes out of California. California love. The love. whole place erupts. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, what can you say there? Going to the next fight. Yep, you had another bantamweight division matchup where Marlon uh, Moraes defeated Jose Aldo via split decision. So this one we talked about in great length last episode because yeah. Jose Aldo had his weight cut, mm-hmm. which... I, I have to admit, uh, the one and only dog was watching. I was with gonna, us. I was going to ask if you wonder if you were going to bring this up. Yeah, he had the greatest take. Yeah, he had the greatest take. I mean, Aldo did look healthy for the fight, yeah. but but his take was he looked like his head looks big. Yeah, his head just looked monstrous on his body, and, and it wasn't something we noticed until he actually got you know. If you've ever seen a UFC fight, you know how it goes. They come out, T-shirt, some sort of jacket or, or you know, warm-up jacket or something. Or shirt there. Sure, you know, whatever. And then they come out, they get checked out, make sure everything's good, and then they go in the octagon. And as soon as he, like, started doing his in-the-octagon routine, like, he goes around or whatever, Nostra Dogmas just goes, his head looks big. Yeah. It just looked like the weight cut really took an effect on him. I mean, yeah. that's what we said last week. Yeah. That's just too big of a cut. It's, I mean, good for him for being game to do it, but... Your body can only take so much. Yeah. yeah. Like, I I was not a fan of this, and I, I'll stick to my words about this. Moraes definitely showed up for it, mm-hmm. and 
Aldo, the one thing that, about this fight that I thought was really odd is Aldo did not throw enough leg kicks no. that we know him for. Yeah. Because, I mean, his leg kicks are legendary in the sport of MMA. At 145, I mean, you want to talk about classic fights and how he's broken fighters? Yeah. Take a look at this fight against Faber way back when on pay-per-view, and he turned both Ugh. of his legs dark purple. Ugh. I mean, it was just insane. Painful. And this one, he just he didn't look like the same Jose Aldo that we've seen. Yeah. I mean, like I, I couldn't exactly put my finger on it, like, why? But he just kind of didn't look like he had the same game plan that he usually does. Right, and it's one of those things that, like, you know, any other fighter not of Jose Aldo's caliber, you might have been able to go, oh, well, it's the weight cut, he's not exactly used to it, he might not have the same punching power, you know, whatever excuse you want to use. But it's Jose freaking Aldo. Like, it shouldn't matter. Right. I mean, but that's the one thing when you don't have that much muscle behind it. And yeah. even though you put your weight back on yeah. after the you know weight cut, it just he didn't look right. And obviously losing a split. Didn't really struggle with this one. Moraes, I mean, is one of the best bantamweights in that yeah. division. I don't know where he goes from here because the bantamweight division is just all types of weird right now. Mm-hmm. That Henry Cejudo is still out till further notice. Uh, Murray has already fought him and lost. If memory yeah. serves me right, so there's no real upside for him there, unless he does like a uh, you know a contender eliminator. And then for where does Jose Aldo go after this? Uh, it, yeah, I mean, like you said, it's going to be interesting because as we sit here recording, of course, we mentioned it is a bantamweight division. Uh, Henry Cejudo is the current champion. As we sit here recording, uh, UFC.com slash rankings uh, list Marlon Moraes is the current number one contender. Yeah, with uh, Aljamain Sterling being number two. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, where do you go from here? Sterling would be a good fight. Uh, I wouldn't really struggle with that. I think him against anybody really in that division mm-hmm. would make a lot of sense. And then, interestingly, uh, Peter Yan uh, had last fight we mentioned, uh, rose to the number three ranking in the bantamweight division. Yeah, Yan, I think they're going to line up against Cody Garbrandt because I don't know if anybody saw the post-fight um, skirmish backstage. No. Uh, apparently, Yan got into it with Cody because mm. Cody is team alpha male with you know yeah. Uriah and – yeah. You know, emotions run high, so I think they just kind of WWE that uh, set up for that fight. Sure. And that one would make a lot of sense. I mean, TJ Dillashaw, we don't know exactly when he's coming back. I could see Moraes against him. Yeah. I'd, I'd be all right against that. And uh, for Aldo, go up to 155, please. Yeah. Just, I mean, stay there. Just yeah. don't fight anything lower than that. It's not healthy. No, it's not. And like, like I said, it looked like the, the NFL street characters when you go oh, big head mode. Yeah, that is how it looked. And I'm not yeah. trying to say this to make a joke, but that's honestly like Aldo just did not look healthy in this fight. And I don't want to see that. I'm a big Aldo fan. Like I, I respect what he's done in that division. He was king of the featherweights for the longest time. Yeah. He just didn't look fight. He just didn't look healthy in this. And yeah. like I said, gotta go up to 155 yeah. and stay there. Next one up, Pad. Uh, it was the first of our three main events. I know there's the one main event, but I, you know what? Three main events. Uh, it was the uh, women's bantamweight matchup with Amanda Nunes retaining her championship, uh, defeating uh, Jermaine by unanimous decision, 49-44, 49-46, and 49-45. And I will say this was a snooze fest this, for me. This was not a great fight. No. Um, I don't know if it's uh, Random A's cut to 135, and Nunez didn't take her that seriously. It just didn't seem like she had the killer instinct. I mean, to, to borrow the quote from uh, Yahoo Sports' Kevin Ioli, who was live tweeting the fight, I saw this when when it was going on. He said, uh, at the, with about one minute left in the fifth round, he made the comment, and now the fighters are in the same position that they started the round in. Uh, uh, Amanda Nunez decided to employ GSP tactics for the entirety of the fifth round. Yeah, played it safe to win the fight. I, I mean, I think it just that's what happens when you're so dominant. I mean, 
what? Well, I mean, you just you play to your competition. I mean, when you're sitting here and you just house an entire division, yeah. and you own the belts, you've beaten the greats. It's like now you have to push yourself. And the hardest thing that you can do, especially when I mean, you're a fighter like that, is you are just basically fighting yourself. Yeah, and that becomes difficult internally because mentally, you know, unless you're like you know, like a Michael Jordan sure. or, you know, a Kobe Bryant that just has that inner drive of yeah, I'm you're always, just wired different. yeah, that you're just wired different. You just mentally turn off and you can't help it. You know I mean? So in this case, it's like, you know, and John's the same way. I mean, John's last few fights in light heavyweight have all been the same too, because when you're so dominant, it's just difficult to get up right. when you know you're going to win. Right. Mm-hmm. But at least for me in the, in the instances of some of the other fighters, like a Jose Aldo, like a Dodson, like a, you know, John Jones, you know, I've been able to watch those fights and, and be kind of tuned in on them. This one, I almost needed to get up right. and do some jumping jacks or some calisthenics just to wake up because it almost put me to sleep. Yeah, the pacing of this I thought was a lot different. I thought that they were going to let their hands go a little more. I mean, Nunez, her track record speaks for itself yeah, that, right. she, that she can throw. And I just don't know if she, if she just gave too much respect to Randomé there. Because, I mean, Randomé is not a joke either no. fighting at 135. I think she's a better 145 fighter. And I know that they never had that fight go down with Cyborg when Cyborg was running the 145 division. Right. So I guess now the question is, where do we all go from here? With the UFC not really having a deep pool of bantamweights in the women's division and featherweights. Featherweights, I think, is worse. Yeah, I mean, I'm just looking at the women's bantamweight division here. Uh, Again, UFC.com slash rankings. Nunez is the current champion. Uh, They still have Randame as the number one contender. After that, they have Aspen Ladd at number two, Holly Holm at number three, Juliana Pena at number four, and then Irene uh, Aldana at number five. So, I mean, looking at that, right, I mean, Aldana, I think, is the only one that uh, Nunez hasn't fought. If I'm not mistaken, I can't remember. I will double check. All right, thank you. I mean, the Aldana fight would make sense, but I think what they should do, and I would be okay with this, is have the Shevchenko 3 um, fight. I know that Shevchenko has not beaten her, but they've all been close fights, and that would be a step up from her being the flyweight champion to you know, try doing the whole champ-champ thing. Because I said it before when Cyborg was let go, I thought that was one of the UFC's biggest mistakes of ego because your money fight right now would have been Cyborg Nunez too. Yeah. So it looks like just going switching between tabs here on the uh, old computer. It looks like the only folks she hasn't beaten out of the five I read are uh, Aldana, Juliana Pena, and Aspen Ladd. Okay. So Pena, but Pena I think has been on a couple losses. Like, I mean, I wouldn't really struggle with it. I mean, Pena is a good fighter. I just, I don't, I don't see how that really is going to move the needle. I just think for Nunez right now, because she is so dominant and she has to be in the pound for pound ranking very high, mm-hmm. that you have this is where like the John syndrome kicks in, like you touched on, coach. You have to go get fighters to come in there right. and challenge. And it's funny, you bring up the lack of fighters at the women's featherweight division. I can't make this up, folks. If you don't believe me, go to UFC.com slash rankings, scroll to the bottom. Uh, they have women's featherweight, Amanda Nunez, champion. Nobody else is less than under her. Yeah, I mean, like I'm showing, I'm showing Ken the the screen here. I I'm not making this up. Yeah, because I mean it's such a, a new division. I mean that's the problem that, that you have to talk the bantamweights to step up to featherweight. And right. That's it's a lot to ask of fighters. Yeah. I mean everybody says, oh, it's easy. They can drop weight. They can just add on. No, it it, it doesn't work like that no. in MMA. So to see what Nunez can do, I mean they now have to go scouring the, the globe to give competition. I mean yeah. this, this is one of those situations where you've cleaned house on a division. 
Ronda Rousey is not coming back. No. And even if she did, she has no striking. So, no. I mean, you almost need to do a uh, ultimate fighter with, you know, a, a women's featherweight division and just, you know, okay, yeah, the one gets a title shot at Nunes and then everybody else gets signed. Yeah, no, you have to do that. I don't I don't see there any there is anybody else that can do that. Otherwise, I mean, there's the talent pool is just not there at featherweight. Yeah, and yeah. it's it's a shame too because I mean it was, it was a brand new division and you had your cornerstones of Nunez and Cyborg that you could build off of. Sure, until you know you get some other contenders to rise up. Every division goes through this. I think maybe the exception of lightweight because that thing has always been deep for the 155ers. For what happens next with Nunez, I mean it's anybody's guess. And like I said, the Shevchenko fight I don't struggle with. But I, you know, and it'll be a good fight. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Shevchenko can step up to 135 and fighter. Uh, I'm all for that, and it'll be an entertaining fight. I just think that you're just running out of contenders. Where this will be like the situation where John is in, in mm-hmm. for 205. Yeah, that you need to go to other promotions. You need to somehow make it happen that you bring challengers in, whether it's a younger generation coming in or some veterans that are, have won in other organizations. You need yeah. you need to do something here. Yeah, because otherwise, I mean, Nunez is in her prime right now, and it, to give her the goat status, you can say that. I mean, just look at her track record, but. You have to find fighters that are going to push her. I don't know if there's anybody there right now other than Shevchenko. Yeah, it's just when a division's depleted like this, you run into this problem. And, I mean, John's facing the same thing right now at light heavyweight. Yeah. 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 You know, you you just end up throwing, you know, fighters out there and you just hope that the buy rates are there. Yeah. You just hope that, you know, whoever they're fighting can make a good enough story and create enough buzz and heat that, you know, people will still buy it and, and get into it. But... Ultimately, you know, if it if the champion's so dominant, the division's just going to run dry. Yeah, I mean, the only – I mean, I don't know. You just have to see who can step up from 135 to 145. I mean, Randomade did not fight bad. Right. I mean, I, she definitely pushed the pace a little bit and had some moments. And especially the upkick she was nailing Whoa. when when Nunez was standing Whoa. over. I mean, I'm not saying a heavier weight fight might help her in that division, but, I mean, this was 135. It wasn't 145. Very true. Just kind of saying. I mean, but I think the Shevchenko fight should happen. I, I'd be okay with that. You know, go for the champ champ title. There's a storyline right there. Yeah. Next up on the docket. Uh, you had the featherweight championship matchup between champion Max Holloway and the, the challenger Alexander Volkanovsky, where Alexander Volkanovsky uh, won by unanimous decision. Yeah. This was kind of surprising, I guess. Yeah. Coach, you have any thoughts on this? I mean, I want to see it again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, this run this back. Yeah, I'd have no problem with an immediate rematch. None. I don't think there's anybody who would have an issue. Volkanovski definitely was hitting leg kicks, which well, I was not expecting the success he was throwing them with. Yeah, because he this definitely threw Max off, mm-hmm. and Max could not get his timing. He could not put combos together. It was definitely game. I mean, it went back and forth. There's a lot that was going on there. It's just one of those like fights that Volkanovski. I mean, you look at his track record and look who he's fought. I mean, obviously the record stands for itself, but it hasn't really been pushed per se to this pace. I mean, he did defeat Jose Aldo, which got him the shot. Right. So obviously, if you beat Aldo, even though Aldo has been declining in recent years, from, sure. From but it's him against Father Time. Enough said. Uh, yeah. So this one, you weren't sure what you're going to get off Volkanovski, but he stepped up and the leg kicks were just so effective that Max. I'm not saying he took him lightly, but it just kind of looked like he went. He didn't have a good rebound or a good like counter punch when his game plan went out the window. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing against Max. Max will come back, and like I said, 
I'm with Coach. you got to do an re- immediate rematch. Yeah. Max has been so dominant at 145 since he got the strap. I mean, what can you say about it? And I think the fight might go differently the next time. I mean, yeah, because once you get thrown off your game plan, you're going to have a backup plan to execute. Yeah, and I think that he was not expecting those leg kicks. I think he was expecting it to be grappled and really be shut down, and I think that once that went out the window and he stayed there striking and he was landing those shots, mm-hmm. huge, huge difference. Oh, yeah. So, because, I mean, I know that the featherweight division has got some fighters in it that they could slide in. Yeah. They didn't want to go there. I know Brian Ortega has a minor injury. That's why he's not fighting this weekend. Right. He could come back. I know that they're going to do Korean Zombie versus Frankie Edgar this right. weekend. Right. 5 a.m., coach. Oh. Yes. Yeah, I mean, that's when I go I go to the gym at 5.30. I'll be wide awake. Yeah, you'll be up for that. I mean, that's going to be a great fight, and it could be a number one contender match. I mean, Frankie, you can always throw in there. Frankie currently ranked number four in the featherweight division. Right. Korean Zombie? Uh, looks like he's number six. This could definitely leapfrog a fight there, too, because if the zombie looks good, I'd have no problem giving him the shot. Or, yeah. Or I would even say this. If zombie gets out of this with no major damage... You put him against Brian Ortega mm-hmm. when Ortega's healthy because I think the Ortega injury isn't going to last a, more than a few months, but it would be enough time for a zombie to recover and they could do a camp. That, you make your number one contender match. You run it back with Holloway and Volkanovski, winner gets winner, enough said, and it kind of writes itself. That being said, we get to the big main event that was so hyped up. I mean, I know I kind of butchered that sentence, but what can you really say? Kamaru Usman, Colby Covington. Mm-hmm. You can't say much because your jaw's broken. Yeah, the trash talk ended after the weigh-ins. Somebody said they were going to the hospital via the other fighter. I don't That think, happened. I don't think it went the way that Colby had planned. Obviously, Col- no. Colby, the character, got a beating like coach called well and, and you knew this was going to be a wild fight because you had the fighter introductions and they come out to their songs they get in the octagon and then you see the t-mobile you know security staff in their jackets you know as a barrier in the middle of the octagon there to keep the two fighters separate yeah this which one was wild this one they haven't done in a while when you've no. had this much animosity between no. fighters i mean connor has had this with habib yeah uh, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. Connor had this with Jose Aldo too. If I'm not noticing mistaken. a trend here, well, it's Connor. If you push the needle <laughs> like he does, obviously, if you talk that line, you got to walk that line. Mm-hmm. Colby Covington became a character. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, whatever you want to feel about his character, it is a character. It's mm-hmm. it's completely and made anyone up who knows him or has is or has been in his camp will tell you it's a character. Exactly. So I'm not buying into that's truly him. But it definitely got him into title contention. So say what you will, it's it's almost like the pro wrestling term. If you can talk, you can you know main event. Yeah, you know your skills set. You know enough said. But Colby can fight, and obviously Kamaru Usman put on the you know display against Tyrone Woodley. Got the belt, had some injuries. So now we finally get to the dance, and what happens, Pad? Uh, he knocked him out with uh, in the fifth round. So, Coach, let me ask you this: your thoughts on this fight? I mean, it definitely – so when John fought Rashad Evans, you could just see that there was a different thing. Like, Jones wanted to punish Rashad for all the trash that he talked. Sure. That's exactly how I felt this fight was. Yeah. Like, Usman wanted it to go five. He wanted to punish him. Now, obviously, Colby got in some shots too. Yeah. And it was a little more, yeah. you know, 50-50 than probably Usman would have preferred to have. But, I mean, you knew that he wanted to extend this fight – 
put as much punishment on Colby as he could, and then finally that shot where he dislocated that jaw. Well, and I think he definitely got to give uh, Kamara some some props. You know, knocking out Colby Covington, you knocking out any fighter, it's a very good accomplishment. But weathering the storm, because he took some shots leading up to that knockout. Oh yeah, this was not exactly a walk in the park for no. sure. Sure, and I, well, I think I think that gets understated a lot for that, this. Well, that's why I, I mean he wanted to. I mean, he didn't, but his game, I feel like, you know, he wanted to extend the fight, put as much punishment as he could. Now, obviously, Kobe gave him a fight, so, I mean, it wasn't as flawless as he was probably hoping for, but, I mean, Usman definitely did give it to him when he needed to, too, you know? Yeah. He definitely showed up and did that, and the one thing that was the scariest thing about the fight wasn't the broken jaw, which Covington suffered, and you can find the image online Uh. where his body stayed in one place and his jaw physically moved an entire other direction. I mean, if you're bad. not a fan of him, go watch it. Because yeah. I watch it about seven different times. Yeah. Not, not as bad as the Anderson Silva leg break, but my God, it's up there. It, it was up there. And especially at the end of the third round, he told his coaches, yeah. I think my jaw is broken. Yeah. And give the devil his due. He went back out. He fought. He yeah. did not ask yeah, for this I mean, that's, that's it's, commendable. It's, but. it's commendable. But the scariest thing from this fight had to be the judge's scorecard had this gone to decision. <laughs> mm-hmm. And well, the, but before you read that off, it's like we always say, don't leave it to the judges. Yeah, you never have to leave it. And I think Usman knew this, and he definitely did the right thing for it. Because how many times have you and I can watch a fight and with however many people are in the room, that the entire room, once it goes to decision, has been in agreement. You know, let's just say it's it's coach and I, or you know, having a fight that you know the entire room goes, oh coach won the fight and then you get bruce buffer out there reading the announcements and all of a sudden the judges all scored for me right because one judge somehow some way had this going into the fifth round three one covington which i disagree with i strongly disagree with i wonder that. what camp that judge was from uh yeah you might want to do some investigating about this one because that judge is atrocious because I I don't understand how you saw that fight being three one. I'm sorry, that no. is just an an egregious egregious call. an egregious call, and like that is just I don't, I don't know like how a judge comes up with that with that call. It just it doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. I mean the fight was close, yeah, oh, very oh, very yeah. close. Oh yeah. I mean I had it going three um, one Usman, but I could have been talked into two two going. Oh yeah, there just because of a couple fights leading in, but because. The one round, except the broke—I mean, except for the one broken jaw round—was mm-hmm. very split. So you can sure. you, you yeah. can make you can make arguments for both. Yeah, but my God, like I'm sorry, what what round other did the one judge give Usman other than the one you broke the man's jaw in? Yeah, I mean, what do you say? Apparently, that? according to that judge, that's what it takes for a person to win a round. Oh my God, <laughs> like I, I had nothing. You gotta break somebody's jaw. Yeah, yeah like it, I don't know. Like I just didn't understand that call. And like I say. UFC just, I, I don't know. Like, I don't understand it, and, I, and I'm going to get myself worked up about it, so I don't want to do that. But just to give the final result, though, Usman definitely solidified himself as the undisputed middleweight champion, mm-hmm. or welterweight champion, I'm sorry. So now where does he go from here, Coach? Where do you think? I mean, for Usman, I think it's got to be Mazdibal. I agree. And that's I, I fully think you have to make that fight. I, th- I don't think there's anywhere else that you can go. I think both fighters, dynamic Tough, angry, yeah, willing to bang. You know that. I mean, that fight would be well yeah. worth the admission price. Yeah, I definitely agree. 
No, yeah, I, I mean, I definitely think Maz Vidal would be the perfect choice, although if I'm not mistaken, Maz Vidal was picking some fights with some other folks over the weekend, too, so he might have some business to take care of first. I heard something Yo, about Yo, he was going off on Twitter. Uh-huh. I mean, it was, I, I mean, all week it was the, the first it was the crucifixion hashtag, then it was the resurrection hashtag. I mean, the man was going in on a lot of people. Yeah. Colby, especially. Yeah, well, I mean, due to their history... I mean, if if Colby had won this fight, then they would have had that immediate rematch. And Pat, if you thought that they needed security for Usman, oh, like I think that this might have been one of those fights that the fighters got announced at a different portion of the cage, yeah. like, and then they got allowed to walk in. Just because I knew Masvidal was had a lot to say about this. Because it, yeah, so in case you're not aware of what we're talking about, uh, Jorge Masvidal took to Twitter after the fight was over and said, "Quote: They never say kick a man when he is down, but you're not a man. Should have paid my coach. It's cheaper than getting your jaw wired shut." Hashtag the crucifixion. Uh, he then went on to say uh, the same night. Uh, shout out to Ben at Ben Askren who never tucked tail after his loss, made excuses, took it on the chin, and never censored the haters like a coward. Hashtag the resurrection. Yeah, that is true because Colby was uh, complaining about the referee stoppage, and mm-hmm. it's the one problem that fighters. I, I understand you're in the heat of the moment, but somebody needs to take away your social media so you don't make statements like that. Yeah, because that just comes out wrong. And and I think Masvidal. Hit it right on the head. Askren never ducked. No, getting his head knocked into the fifth row. No, he's always manned up about it. He's yeah. always said, "Okay, this is what happened." To pick a fight with Masvidal, Colby is going to fight him at some point. Uh, yeah, which is why I say, I you know, Masvidal being the next fighter for Usman would make sense to me. But I get the feeling uh, Masvidal is going to want to take care of some other business first. Well, I think for Colby, he's going to be on the shelf for a while. Yeah. Oh, very, broken jaw. Very break, yeah. Broken jaw. He's not coming back for a yeah. good portion of 2020. Yeah. yeah. The Usman fight makes a lot of sense. I don't struggle with that at all. I think that's the fight the UFC needs to make. Masvidal has never been the, a bigger name to get a pay-per-view title shot. Yeah. And that will push the needle. And if it keeps him away from Connor. And <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think the UFC is is breathing a sigh of relief because he will destroy Connor. Yeah, at, at yeah. one seventy, like yeah. Connor is a small one seventy. He's going to have a tough time with Cerrone, and I know that Connor thinks that he can beat Cerrone and get a shot against Masvidal. Don't sleep on Cerrone. I, I'm, yeah, I'm telling you that's that's a bad fight to make. Don't sleep on Cowboy. No, I just I just think that for both guys right now, Usman and Masvidal, I just think that both names right now are so hot that it just makes sense. Yeah, you have to. It's just, it's the easiest answer. Yeah, you have to make that fight. I mean, anything else, it just doesn't make sense for that no. title. Yeah, no. And like I say, the lightweight division is kind of in flux right now. I mean, we still have the fight due in April. Please don't let Ferguson or Habib get injured before the fight. Let them get to the cage and then please, please. So obviously. Connor is sitting in the wings. I know they were talking about putting him in a match against him, but if Connor wants to fight at 170, I mean, he's going to have yeah. a bumpy road. He wants no part of Masvidal, and he wants no part of Usman. No. I mean, no. Lord. Nobody wants <laughs> any part Lord. of Usman. No, nobody does. I think that Usman now has kind of the reputation that Glover Teixeira had way back when. when yeah. When Glover Those came into heavy the heavy ass hands. Yeah, nobody wanted to fight him. I know there well, are there's one guy, Masvidal, wants to fight anybody. I mean, <laughs> you don't give a shit. <laughs> him, and, him and Cerrone, too. Cerrone will fight anybody. Yeah. Gamebred is a, is a different cat, and if he's calling out people, run. Mm-hmm. Run very far. Stay off Twitter, Colby. Twenty four seven bodyguards. Yo, I mean that. that I want to see that fight too because I would love to see. I mean, Masvidal would take this to the streets. Yeah, this would get he out would of hand. Bury him. I mean, it's, Ken, if you haven't seen this Twitter, 
when we're done, go on that Twitter and see some of the stuff that Mozzie Ball was posting because shit got personal. Yeah. yeah. I mean, real, real personal. Oh, yeah. To like, the point where they were talking about having some girls come over the house and how Kobe couldn't even man up and how Jorge, you know, how Mozzie Ball had to take care of everything and how he got played by the girl. I mean, it was getting real, real nasty. Yeah. yeah. I, I could only imagine. I mean, sleeping on the couch, begging for ramen, like, Damn, like it definitely didn't make this guy who tries to pretend like he, you know, is the mat, you know, the art of the deal type of guy, you know, it definitely didn't make him any make him look any better. Because well, I mean, he looked like a bum with what Mazival was tweeting about him. And then that's the problem that he created this character. That's, right. That's the thing. That's not the real Colby Covington. If you look at like some of his earlier fights when he's in the UFC, he's not doing all that nonsense. No. Right. And and granted. Congratulations. You got yourself a title shot. Yeah, I mean, you, listen, sometimes your mouth can get you, you know, somewhere, and sometimes your mouth can also mm-hmm. get you into trouble. And, I mean, this it was the case of both scenarios here. His mouth got him a championship fight, but his mouth also got him in trouble. His mouth got him in a championship fight. He talked all that talk. He talked all that crap. And then as soon as he got knocked out, he bolted for the door. Yeah, like a punk. And yeah. I'm sorry. I realize that, you know, there might be the excuse, oh, well, you know, he, might, he needs to get his jaw taken care of almost immediately. You can sit there for less than five minutes and give it an interview yeah you've already been you, through you, two rounds where he's wow, getting punched yeah, in the mouth you yeah want to talk with your job yeah you know I mean? but that was the problem because you, you you create this persona but that's you, the you thing connor back backed it up yeah that's yeah. the difference like yeah. for the, as long as connor talked he was backing stuff up now you know not so much and now this is where everybody's like oh f connor you know he does talk but six two three years ago you were the one in his corner saying yeah Let's go, Connor. Yeah, he's so awesome. Like, that's just the hypocrites in it. And, I mean, with Kobe, it's like you you build that heel heat. You build that animosity. You build that anger towards you, and you play in it. You better back that up because when you lose, it will just get dumped on you. Mm-hmm. And that is exactly what is happening right now. And, I mean, obviously he's been silent since Sunday or Saturday night, so – because somebody in his camp was smart and cut off his social yeah. media. Well, I mean, listen, this is where you got to go head in right now. You can't hide. You got your ass kicked. You can't just you can't just lay low right now because now you look even more like a punk. Well, this is why he needs somebody to type a tweet for him after they changed his password so he can't access it <laughs> and just say own up to it and be gone until your jaw is fixed. Because now you got exposed uh-huh. big time. And now where you go from here is anybody's guess, but there is a laundry list a mile wide of people that want to go take you out to the cleaners. <laughs> so there, there's no shortage of uh, willing takers. No, he'll have fights for the rest of his career, whether he wants them or not. It's like it's like a comedy western movie where you're in a saloon and you got the big bad guy. We're getting ready to get into town and you go, all right, who wants to fight this guy? Every hand in the saloon goes up. It was a wild weekend with UFC 245. Hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH. What was your thoughts about the UFC's big weekend? And who do you think everybody's fighting after this? Because we definitely want to know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hello there. Do you like movies but feel overwhelmed by the avalanche of titles available every week in the theaters and on streaming services? Do you struggle with justifying the increasing cost of movies at the theater or whether to pick up another streaming service? Well, I have a resource for you. One Movie Punch. Your movie review podcast for currently playing newly streaming classic and cult movies. One movie per day, every day. We track the theaters, streaming services, and the occasional physical release to find the best movies currently available. We watch every film, then distill it into a short three to five minute review and publish a daily podcast. 
And now with year two, we've gone spoiler-free for all movies within the last three years and bringing on a team of reviewers with brand new perspectives and selections. Want more information? Head over to www.onemoviepunch.com to subscribe to the daily podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at One Movie Punch and Facebook at www.facebook.com slash onemoviepunch. We'll see you there. Hey, this is Vince, the Common Man Toy, local MMA fighter, telling you to keep on listening to the ODPH, the 607's up-and-coming newest podcast. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH, and we have to talk some baseball. Uh-huh. Now, when we were leaving off rounding the bases last week, we talked about Steven Strasburg's big contract mm-hmm. with Washington. Yep. And Coach had some very opinionated thoughts on that, which yeah. he should because they I, haven't I changed. agreed with him. They haven't changed. So let us catch you up to speed since. Yeah. Pad, what has happened in the land of baseball? Absolutely nothing. End of segment. No, I'm kidding. Uh, since that time, uh, I'll get to the big one in a minute. You know, I'll save the main course. we got to have the appetizer first. Uh, one of the big free agent signings that everyone's kind of waiting on was Anthony Rendon, uh, third baseman with formerly of the Washington Nationals. Had a great performance in the playoffs and including the World Series. Uh, kind of wondering where he was going to go. I know a couple of teams were mentioned, uh, but he ended up signing a seven-year, $245 million contract with the Los Angeles Angels. Uh, just a, some notes. Does have some bonuses in case he wins World Series MVP and LCS MVP. He's an all-star starter or reserve. Uh, it does have a full no-trade clause. And the thing I should note, there's also no opt-out. So they're on the hook for this for seven years. So, Coach, your thoughts on this. Now, this third baseman got the same contract as Strasburg. Okay, so, I, I mean, at least he plays every day. Okay. I mean, obviously not the baseball guy, so I don't know a ton of his stats. I know Washington was good last year, so I'm going to assume that he played well last year. But, I mean... I definitely I know I, when Mike Trout got his deal I knew who that was. Yeah. When Bryce Harper got his deal I knew who that was. When uh, the Yankees Stanton yeah. when he got his yeah. deal with Miami yeah I knew who he was. So just for uh, reference, last season uh, Anthony Rendon again uh, third baseman with the Washington Nationals had a three nineteen batting average, thirty four home runs, and one hundred and twenty six runs batted. In. That's pretty solid. That's pretty. That's good. pretty solid. Yeah. I mean that's not Mike Trout Bryce no. Harper numbers. Not that Bryce Harper played well last year, I'm just mm-hmm. saying, but uh, that's, I mean, that's a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. It, it's a ton of money, and I think they overpaid. I'm going to I'm gonna say that. Maybe. It, it just depends on how you want it to say the incentives play out. I, I think he's worth a good amount of money. He's worth the amount of money. I don't necessarily agree with the years because when, yeah. the, when this contract starts, he will be 30 years old. Well, By the time the contract is over, he will be 36, 37 years old. You and I both know with Alex Rodriguez how great a third baseman is once you start getting north of 30. Yeah, that, that, And that's something that I want to talk about with these baseball contracts. 
all of these guys that have earned all this big money, okay, mm-hmm. that I had made my little list here so I knew what oh, was up. Okay. Well, because, I mean, I'm not the baseball player. I, I know. No, so, no, I'm intrigued. Yeah. No, no, so, by all means. I mean, um, uh, Madison Bum Bumgarner, yeah. uh, Giants to the Diamondbacks. Yep. He's 30 years old. He got a five-year deal. Yeah. All right. That makes sense. I mean, okay, all right, all right. 30, thirty years old, five years for a pitcher is is doable. Um, because well, I mean, listen though, I mean, he's thirty. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about your prime realistically as a person is twenty five to thirty. So right. he's on the north side of that now. Right, but I can I can stomach a five year deal for a pitcher, unlike with Strasburg, who got a what seven year deal, eight year deal. Where I'm like, okay, you're not going to expect anything good out of Strasburg at the end of that deal. Baumgartner, you'll have some good years out of that, but he might, you know, he's going to be their number one right now. End of this contract, he'll be like number three, number four starter. Yeah, but he's still going to be getting paid number one money. He's getting number yeah, one money right. through, through. Yeah, history. and that's what I'm trying to like, you know, yeah. think about like that, right? Garrett Cole, 29 years old. Signed from the Astros to the Yankees. Yep. A nine-year deal. Yeah. Nine years. Mm-hmm. Nine. So he'll be 38 by the time this contract plays out. Right. Yep. That, and 38 that, years old. With a player opt-out after 2024, so that's if he even stays there for the whole uh, thing. So, all right. But if he does, let's just yeah. lock into this deal for nine years. He's yeah. going to be 38 years old by the time this contract ends. Yeah. Stupid. Oh, I mean, and, and, again, past his prime. But let's talk about the money that was involved in that. Right. One. Well, three hundred twenty-four million dollars. I mean, yeah. I, I, first, let me focus okay, on the contracts okay. before I start freaking out about the money. Okay. Cole Hamels, who is a thirty-five-year-old man, yeah, got a one-year eighteen million dollar deal. Yeah. Yeah. Thirty-five years old. I mean, it's one year, but the eighteen million is a lot of money to be pitching every five days. Yep. Uh, Mike Mouse. Mustakis? Mustakis. Mustakis. All right. Mustafa. He's 31 <laughs> and plays second base. He got $64 million for four years. He's decent, but I don't know if I'd necessarily go 64. So, I mean, that's he's de- he's 30. Decent. That's he's decent. Uh, Chuck Knobloch comes to mind. North <laughs> of 30 here. Yeah. You might not be able to throw the first anymore. Yeah. Uh, Anthony Rendon, as we've discussed. Yep. Steven Strasburg is 31 years old. I remember when he was in college. Everybody yeah. was talking about him. Like yeah, he, now he's thirty-one. He made his major league debut. They broadcast the game on MLB Network. It was that such a makes big thing. me feel old as shit. Yeah, but he got as a thirty-one-year-old seven years, so he's going to be thirty-eight by the time this contract's done. And then Zach Wheeler is twenty-nine. He got a five-year deal, so he'll be thirty-four by the time this is done. Why are they putting all this money in old ass people? Wheeler, Wheeler, out of the list you read is probably the one I kind of sit there and go, mm, maybe not as most be, most because he's got, had some injury issues. Yeah, Wheeler is definitely not a hundred million dollar pitcher. No, not by, by, any, any, by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, you are twenty nine years old. You are past your prime, and now you're making three hundred twenty four million. Yeah, yeah. That's wild. Like, these guys, they're in the twilight of their career. Could you imagine, like, a running back being, like, you know, like getting Zeke's deal at 30? Yeah. They wouldn't even play two years into the deal. See, this is why with good players, because let's be honest, CeCe Sabathia, great player, might make it into the Hall of Fame, might, you know. Might's keyword. Might is the keyword. Might definitely pitched past his prime. Agreed? Yeah. But – reinvented himself in such a way that okay wasn't your ace wasn't your number one guy wasn't the guy that like you're on a losing streak you go Sabathia's starting night we're stopping that losing streak but he reinvented himself enough that okay you're not going to strike guys out anymore with a 98 mile an hour fastball you know he became more effective with his off-speed stuff this is the stuff that guys like Strasburg Cole okay you can strike guys out now and you can get 200 plus strikeouts a year you're not going to be doing that 
in the twilight of your career, you're going to have to reinvent yourself. And that's where I think we're going to see if these contracts are worth it. Because if you got a guy like Strasburg, who, you know, is 36, 37 years old and up, you know what? Arms just falling apart. I got to retire. That's where I'm going to say, you know what? Shouldn't have gone nine years. But if he's able to reinvent himself and sit there and go, okay, hey, you know what? We got him to the end of his contract. Wasn't the best at the end of his contract, but we got a few good years out of it. That might have been worth it. I mean, that's crazy to me to be. That's the mentality. Yeah. I'm thinking about. I, if I'm investing a nine-year contract into a guy, mm-hmm. I want, and especially at that money, I want nine years of value. I don't want four years and then a dip-off for five and say, well, you know what, though? We got four great years. I want nine years of investment upon my return. That's what I want. Like, if I invest in you, Ken, and mm-hmm. I say, hey, you got a great podcast. I want to invest. I want to give you a million dollars. Okay. Then first three years of that is great, great return. Everything's looking good, and then all of a sudden you get you get comfy, and you, you know you're like uh, maybe I'll take today off. Maybe I'm not going to put any content out today. All of a sudden that starts dipping. My my million that I'm investing, in, I'm going to be a little pissed. Yeah. If you're not giving me the time that I put into you, for these guys at this age, it's like I, I can't believe like the 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 Scott the talk is if I get four years, I'm good with that. And then there's another five. If you can, great. If not, then whoops. Yeah, this is that, not the, not for this money. It's not chump change. Yeah, this isn't like the NBA where there's dissolvable contracts. Exactly. Chris Paul yeah. is a perfect example of somebody who you want to talk about reinventing himself. Chris Paul did that, but he's still playing at a top five elite point guard level. Yeah. Now it's at a bad team, but he's still playing at that level. Like James Harden, you know, LeBron James also at you know thirty plus years old. He has reinvented himself, gone back to playing point guarding and bringing the ball up and running the offense. That works. Like, that type of stuff works. He's still gaining. The Lakers are still gaining off that investment. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't see how at 36, the Yankees are going to say, all right, we're good. Garrett Cole, we still got him. We're still paying him. I mean, what is that a year? Almost 30 that, something million a year. 30 million a year. They're going to be plus, yeah. 30 plus. I mean, the man's going to break down. That's the biggest issue that I have with this. I mean, I as a Yankee fan, I'm happy we signed him, but I'm not happy with the amount of money, and I'm not happy with the amount of years. I, For me, I've always been a stickler of a five-year rule. Yeah, and, and agreed. Exactly. And I'm, I'm more than willing to renegotiate if I was a GM after five years with each player. Yep. I would stick. A, I'd stay a hard line to Especially that. at that age. Especially yeah, you, when you, you start talking 28, 29, 30. Five years a minimum. Yeah, because, Pat, let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. How many pitchers do you know are still at an elite level at 36, 37, 38? Not, I mean, not in elite in the sense of depend on them, you know, top of their game, but serviceable. Yeah, I mean, they're not all like Tom Glavin. Like no. Glavin, Glavin could pitch. Right, or like Randy no. Johnson and Schilling, how they were still Smoltz. able to play well. Smoltz at yeah. the end of his career. Yeah. Yeah, you don't really have that with those kind of players. That I mean, there's certain ones that really adapt and can really switch it up, but they're few and far between. Right, and I mean, every five days, six innings a game. Yeah. That's all you're getting. Yeah. So here's the thing with, with Cole. I think if we can get similar numbers to what he had last year, because looking at his starts from last year, from the start of May to the end of the year, he lost three games all year. If you can get something akin to that and then get, you know, he had 300 50 plus strikeouts and you know of ERA of under three you know finish I think it was like second in the Cy Young award voting if you can get that 
I'm happy with that because that. And I was talking with with Mike C. You know, Horizon Six Hundred Seven, who's a Yankees fan. You know, when the news broke, I was like, "When is the, you know this gives the Yankees an ace? This gives the Yankees a guy that they're on a losing streak. They can go. That's going to be our W today." I I told Mike, who's been a Yankee fan longer than I have, and maybe about as long as you have as well. Can mm-hmm. when's the last time the Yankees had an ace where they could sit there and go, "That's our guy." The thing Mike said was probably Ron Guidry in the seventies. Wow. Oh, I, I mean, wouldn't go, I wouldn't go that far. I would, Roger I would, Clemens was pretty good at that point. I was going to say Clemens, maybe Pettit. You Pettit? Could, you, could, you could argue that Pettit might not have gotten you the – like you could say, all right, with Pettit on the hill, you probably could say we're not going to lose. Yeah, he'll keep us in the game. We, ain't gonna, we might not win, but at least for the seven – because back then you were going seven or eight. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it a different, it's a different era. Uh, no, I would definitely say Clemens. I for me, I mean, you you gave him that much money, and he was still dominant for that like window of the, you know the late nineties, early two Ks. Yeah, you know before you know Weaver. Every, yeah. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> See, god. I mean, listen, I like well, there was a point where I still liked baseball, and like that that era of the Yankees, I did like, and I mean, yeah, Roger Clemens would go out there, and he would absolutely put on performance. Yeah, I mean. He would always, you'd always show up. I mean, it's just a different mentality, different style he would pitch. And even as he got older, he adapted. And that's mm-hmm. going to be the question of can these new uh, players step up and do that? I mean, but even when he adapted, he still was the guy that you could go out oh, yeah. and you were like, he's going to get you a win. Yeah. Like I, I mean, said, like, I saw when him and Pedro played in that one nothing game at Yankee Stadium, mm-hmm. that classic. Yeah. I mean, Roger Clemens was 38. I was there. I saw it. And he was still pitching well. Yeah. No, Clemens was always. You know, I mean, he had hell, yeah, but yeah, you know, yeah. whatever, whatever. Everybody was doing it, okay, yeah. okay. It's cool. It, it's a different era. It's cool. <laughs> everybody was doing it. We talked right? about the PEDs. Yeah, yeah everybody a, was doing it. It's yeah. cool. You yeah. know, I mean, you were the weird one if you weren't doing it. You yeah. know, I mean, <laughs> well, 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 please take coach. <laughs> I'm just saying. No, I it's, mean, it's it's true though. But it's it's true. Like we say, it's a different era when you know stuff like that was going on. Sure, and but this is you got to just say with Clemens. Yeah, he was always the number one guy. With Cole now being the guy with the Yanks, and, oh, yeah. and let's face it, you don't give him that much money if he's going to be your you know number four in the rotation. <laughs> I mean, I hope well not until he's after thirty four. Yeah, five years down, we're good. Well, five years down, he's got to see if he takes the riskiest gamble ever and opts out. That would be the most ignorant business move I've ever seen in my life. I wouldn't put it past him because his agent is Scott Boris, who was also the agent for one Alex Rodriguez, who did the same thing in Game 7 of the World Series, or whatever year it was. Coach, you want me to make you sick? I'll make you very sick. Uh, Boris is the agent of Strasburg. Sure. Rendon. Sure. And Cole. Sure. How much, hey. mo- how much money did he make in contracts? A he's, lot. Listen, he is very, very good at his job. $814 million. Job. I'm not disagreeing with that. He's very, very good at his job. Yeah. But a 34-year-old pitcher... Who, I, I mean, who, I just, I'm sorry. Like, I know that people are extending careers and playing at elite levels at older ages, but my God, at, thir- when's the op out? Thir- at f- uh, five years? Five years. Five, five years. years. So he'd be 34. Come on. No, who's, I agree. He stays put. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I, don't, I don't care who your agent is. It's got good promise, at least from the stats perspective, you look at it. I mean, I'm looking at it. He gave up 59 earned runs last season. That beats, uh, that's lower than Masahiro Tanaka, J.A. Happ, James Paxton, uh, James Paxton, excuse me, Domingo Herman, and ties C.C. Sabathia. So they were all in the starting rotation at some point for the Yankees last year, and he's already better than all of them. It's just, it. the money is so frustrating. Oh, I agree with you. It's yeah. just, I mean. And who winds up paying for it? Well, the fans. 
Yeah. Well, the Yankees aren't exactly hurting in terms of dollar amounts. I was because I know Coach asked last week, you know, where did the teams get their money? So I did a little digging, a little research, and I found an article from Forbes. Uh, it's a little dated. The numbers are because the article's from 2016, uh, but it broke it down into like a you know a, a visual for so you could better understand it. Uh, and they said in the article, sport. Uh, it says the team's total value is made up of four determining factors: sport market, arena, and brand. Uh, sport is the portion of a team's value attributable to revenue shared among all made, all teams. Market is the portion that comes from its city and market size. Stadium is the bit part attributable to its stadium, home plate game, home game attendance, premium seating, non-baseball events, etc. And brand comes from the team's specific brand. So they listed 10 off, and I'm not going to go through all of them, but I'll just go through a couple. Uh, number one, they obviously had the New York Yankees. Uh, this Again, these numbers are from 2016, so I guarantee you they've changed a little bit. Uh, they, in 2016, the team was worth $3.4 billion. They got excuse me, $1.66 billion dollars in market uh so from the city of new york and then the surrounding area uh 502 million dollars were from stadium so home game home game attendance uh concerts football games and stuff like that uh 660 million from brand because as everyone knows it's one of the most recognizable logos on the planet mm-hmm. uh 502 million dollars were from sport uh, and then they had $130 million from premium seating, uh, $259 million from gate receipts. Uh, you flip over to the uh, L.A. Dodgers, who were worth $2.5 billion. They got $1.26 billion from their market, so Los Angeles and the state of California. Uh, $417 million from their stadium, $405 million from their brand, and then $433 million from their sport. Uh, they had $152 million come in from a TV deal with Time Warner Cable uh, in 2015, $130 million in gate receipts. You've got the Boston Red Sox at number three, who were worth $2.3 billion. Uh, they got $1.05 billion from their market. $439 million from their stadium, uh, $398 million from their brand, $440 million from their sport. You know, so that's kind of where the money comes from. When you sit here and go, oh my God, how are these owners, you know, sitting here paying out these astronomical contracts and all these massive amounts? This is where they're getting. I mean, Yankees alone got an estimated $1.66 billion from their market alone. It's absolutely insane. I mean, at least they're not selling meth like Walter White. All right, so that makes me feel a little bit money so, what, so better where they're getting so, the money. So what you're saying is Walter White should have bought the Arizona Diamondbacks instead of selling meth. I mean, to, to each his own, it would have been a little easier to get that money for his family than having to sell meth, but, yeah. you know. I wish we had that Breaking Bad episode. That would have been amazing. <laughs> that would have been incredible. I, just, I mean, all right, so great. Like, Obviously, they are able to drive the revenue up. I just... I mean, to what point do you guys as baseball fans just say, like, what the shit is this? I say it right now. Like, I mean, I, like I just, the contracts are just out of control. It's all guaranteed money, which, like I said, I'm never going to be mad at a player getting paid. Right, because, I mean, make your money, boo-boo. Yeah, but the system is broken. Right. Fully. And there has to be a restructuring. This is why, and it's argued that there is parity in the league, but I just, I don't see it. I, I really don't. That see. is such a bullshit thing. Just because oh, so many teams versus there's a difference between the parity in baseball versus the parity in the other sports with a salary cap. Yeah, and I don't care who or what you are that says that because in the NBA, 
there is a way to work around that salary cap. Yeah, there is. So the the obviously there's not going to be parity when teams are willing and able to work their way around that salary cap and then pay the luxury tax. So there isn't being parity created by that salary cap because the salary cap has a loophole for winners to continue to win. So you can throw that out the door. Mm-hmm. The NFL yeah, there is parity in the NFL. I don't care that only ten teams have won at certain you know things because each team has the same amount of money to play with. Yeah. It's just some teams have better scouting departments than others. And to them, the riches. To the others, the spoils. The Giants were elite for the last five years in the NFC East prior to 2012. They had an elite staff. Now they don't. Now they suck. That is parity in itself. You have good years, you have bad years. The NHL, a little difficult because, you know, contracts were grandfathered in from the previous CBA where you were able to give guys 20-year deals at 200, uh, you know, at 90 million, but only pay them 1.3, and that was the salary that went against the cap. So it's a little more difficult to gauge that, but... At the same time, you are able to work around that salary cap, and Pittsburgh did that for years. Mm-hmm. That I mean, that's why the Sidney Crosby rule went into effect where you weren't able to do longer than seven-year deals for players making X amount of money. So, you know, the NHL is trying to phase that out and make parity in their own league. So baseball is the only one without the salary cap. And, yeah, okay, granted, teams are able to win now without having to spend big money, but it's not as often as you think it is. Mm-hmm. No, I agree with you completely. If, if something's going to change, it's going to not be until at least 2021 because that is when the current collective bargaining agreement It be, will uh, never expires. change. The well, baseball union is the strongest union in all of the land. Yeah. No, there's I mean, no question about there's that. No, there's no doubt. When you've got people behind the scenes such as Scott Boris who controls, I mean, I, how many, he's probably one-fourth of, Eight of players I in the league? I couldn't even tell you. He, he, he's a good portion of all players' agents. Yes. I mean, there's no way he's going to let anything change. And that's going to be the problem that baseball is going to have. I mean, we just kind of gave you some big examples of well, just how I the money's think, off. Well, and I think the other thing you got to also look at is you have some owners that just don't give a shit. Right, you yeah. know that the teams that like you look at you look at the team that the Florida Marlins had a couple of years ago where it was JT Realmuto and and Giancarlo Stanton and a lot of those guys that are like all star starters. You know, World Series caliber guys that like you look at that team now and you're like, holy shit, that was loaded, and they, they just blew it up. That you just have these owners that like, oh, I'm just in here to collect the paycheck. I don't give a shit about the team. I don't give a shit about the winning. I'm just in it for the money. Well, God, I mean, Oakland is literally Moneyball was about the fact that yeah. a guy was put in position to be a general manager and was given chicken shit and made chicken salad. Yeah, yeah. still doing that. Still doing it. Still so, doing it to this right. day. So, I mean, then on the flip side of that, you know, then you have other players, you know, teams that care. And, I mean, that's not parity. That's just one guy's pocketbook is bigger than the other one. The other, the difference is the guy that has the smaller pocketbook has somebody who's working for him who's hungrier for the guy, hungrier than the guy who has the big pocketbook. I think you have three different types of teams. You got teams like the Dodgers, the Yankees, the Red Sox, where they've got the pocketbooks and they've got the appeal, the revenue, the revenue yeah. and the appeal and the loss for that. Like if you're a free agent, pick your possession and you go, hey, right, come to our team. You got a chance. You got a chance of making some big money and winning the World Series. There's a lot of guys who are going to take you up on that. Mm-hmm. You got other teams who are, you know, they might have a little bit of a pocketbook but not as deep and they've got some luster and some appeal you know the milwaukee brewers come to mind you know where 
Sony might consider them, but like, yeah, you got some other teams that are a little more appealing. Then you've got other teams, and I won't go into names because I'm sure I'll offend the shit out of somebody that, you know, yeah, they can play and yeah, they'll scrap, but you got an owner who does absolutely nothing for them. They don't make any, they might be close at making the playoffs or making the wild card or contending, but when it comes deadline day, they're not doing anything. If anything, they're selling off their players and it's just the same story year in and year out. Right. And that's, that's the, that's the parody of baseball. Yeah. And every once in a while, that team that you just described yeah. grabs that nut and they make a playoff run, and they make it far and they win a World Series. Colorado Rockies come to mind. I mean, they made that play, they made that run in I forget what year it was. They made it to the World Series, but they didn't win. And I mean, they've contended, but they haven't been nearly. Yeah, as and good. then everybody, baseball, oh the parody, it's there. Oh, the little guys can win too. No, no, no. The difference is the little guy found the pieces that made it work because eventually all those pieces go away, and then they're right back to the bottom. It's a weird world to watch from the outside. i got to admit that. that There's yeah. nobody more. I mean, listen. Yeah, no, I know. I get, like, to me, you know, and I and I saw this argument on Facebook, and I just I wanted to chime in, but, you know, do you know those arguments where it's just not worth it because yeah. you know that you're yeah. just going to open <laughs> oh, a yeah. can of worms? Yep. I really Wait, did want to chime on in. Facebook? Like, I understand that only 10 teams have won the Super Bowl in 10 years. Yeah. Or whatever the, the number is. And I know New England's been dominant. The, sure. There is a difference between – because people take the word and the term parody and they make it literal and associate it to championships. That's not the point of the word parody in sports. The word of parity means that any team given any given year can win a championship. And in the NFL, where your schedule is designed to finish you 8-8, eight and eight, every single team has the opportunity to do it. Mm-hmm. The difference is teams like New England, teams like Green Bay, teams like Pittsburgh, teams like uh, who else, who's been Seattle. Seattle, those teams do it better than the others. Yeah, they are better in the front office. They are better at scouting. They are better at finding free agents that they don't need to spend big money on, who give them big returns. Yeah. That is the difference. Lamar Jackson is the def- definition of parity because twenty-one other teams had the opportunity to draft this man. Or and thirty. Thirty. Oh, thirty. Thirty teams had the opportunity to draft this man, and thirty teams waved on him until Baltimore went up and selected him. Every team had the opportunity to get this guy, and they waved. There is that is the difference between parity and and what your definition of it is associated championships. And I mean, I'll stand by that, and I'll argue that to the very end because when you talk about just championships, there's only two teams that ultimately make it, and the better team's going to win nine times out of ten. Mm-hmm. But in a sport like baseball where there is big money free agents and, and, and all that, there is more opportunity for more teams to win because with so many games and so much, there's so much data and all these things that can go into it and in with baseball season, you know, eventually the cream will always rise to the top in baseball. And that's the difference between, you know, especially with 82 games or 16 games in the NFL, you only have so many games to make success. Right. So I just, I, I mean... I, I don't get – I mean, for me, it's just like, all right, great. Baseball successful and there's parity and everything, and any team does have the opportunity and, and everything. But when you have teams that are willing to spend $324 million on a guy who has dominated baseball for the last four years in the Astros and won two World Series in that time, chances are they're going to win a World Series. 
One would think. Yeah, no, one would think. I mean, something funny that I just found while I was digging through. Uh, we have another Bobby Bonilla situation. Oh, boy. Starts uh, Started this year. Uh, it is one Boston Red Sox are on the hook. Oh, really? For $2 million uh, to one Manny Ramirez uh, from 2019 uh, through 2026 when they will, he will get his last paycheck from the Red Sox. Is a weird world. If if there's no, anything if there's I, anything you need to learn about baseball, deferred money is the dumbest thing you dumb, can do as dumb, a team. Dumb. I literally that par- that parody thing just popped. I that was all off the cuff too. I just yeah. that fucking lightning just struck my brain on what the true definition of parody in sports is. I need we got to fucking coin this. That people go in and argue that point because you can't. There's no comeback to that. That no. is literal. That is fact. That is gospel. And there is no way to com- to combat that. Coach. No, you can't. You what do you say back to it? No, you can't. You say can't. Anything you about can't it. say anything because it's literally the truth. It's it, it's stone cold facts because everybody associates parody to fucking championships, and they're not the same. It's not the same thing. And when you have loopholes in sports that can get around things, there's ultimately going to be better people at loopholes than there are not. No, enough said on that. I mean, we gave you a lot of content for baseball. If you want to try debating Coach on Twitter at Coach Duffy Eleven, I mean, I will, I will argue this point to the death of me. Now, I really have, I've got a ground to stand. I might find that chat on Facebook that I saw, and I might give this verbatim what I just said. I think you should, and I definitely want to know about this. So hit us up on that hashtag, yes, because I don't, I don't know how to even come back from that segment. Just we gave you a lot of content to digest. Major League Baseball contracts are out of control. Where do you think you stand on that? It's not even done yet. Aren't there still no. like no? They're not even close. They there's there's still like a few. I'll say spring training is it for another hundred and twenty something? Well, no. Days? There's still yeah, like well, guys who are in the top ten uh, for like the the ranking for no, free yeah, agents not yeah. signed yet. I mean, right? I, I will yeah. say this as a baseball fan, it's been more exciting than years past, where it's not been until like February before any of the big names start signing. Yeah, because when is winter meetings? Uh, they're over. Oh, they're already done? No, yeah, they're already over and done with. Like, the last couple of years, you've gone through the winter meetings and no one has signed. Yeah, because I was going to say, it's been really quiet, and then all of a sudden we have, like, the explosion right yeah. now. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously we gave you a lot of content with that. Where do you stand on the baseball contracts? Do you think they're justified? Do you think they're completely crazy? And what do you think about Coach's parody definition? He has now given you an argument piece if you really want to deep dive into it. Webster Dictionary. Holler at me. Exactly. So hit him up on at Coach Duffy 11 on Twitter, or you can just hit up us up on Twitter as well at OD Parlay Hour as well. What is your take on it? We want to know. Hashtag ODPH. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Mike C from Horror Zone 607, and you're listening to the ODPH, the most killer podcast on the planet. Coming back to the final segment on this edition of the ODPH pad. Kick us off with that local minute. Well, local minute, of course, we're talking Binghamton Devils hockey. Uh, Looking at their games from the last week, uh, they lost their game on Wednesday the 11th against Hartford by a final score of 3-1. Then they went and traveled uh, to the Springfield Thunderbirds and lost by a final score of 5-3. They returned home this past Saturday uh, where they played the Utica Comets on Teddy Bear Toss Night, and I know there was some rumblings that they might not score, that they might, you know, there might be no Teddy Bears tossed. 
didn't have to wait long. Uh, they scored like 50-something seconds into the game, so Teddy Bears went flying onto the arena floor, uh, won by the final score of 5-1. to one. Uh, Looking at their games for this coming week, uh, they have a game on Wednesday at home against the Rochester Americans, game time 7.05. Uh, should be noted, uh, kids 12 and under get a free ticket and a Happy Meal. Uh, and then Friday, uh, December 20th, they travel up to the Rochester Americans uh, for a 7.05 game. And then on Saturday, uh, they travel up to Syracuse to play the Crunch for a 7 o'clock game. More information, BinghamtonDevils.com. And let me interject very quickly, too, because the game against Hartford was uh, the goalie in net for Hartford, mm-hmm. Igor Shetterkin, okay. Shesterkin, who is going to be the heir apparent to Henrik. Mm. And he's one of their big draft picks that they've had over the years. And, okay. and he's definitely on fire right now in the AHL. And I'm kind of kind of jumping my base a little quick because they finally got Vitaly Krastoff over from the KHL ah. to join this. The big draft pick that if you've been listening to the show for a while, mm-hmm. we pass on Oliver Wallstrom in the draft to go get this kid. He's now with the AHL team. They uh, got him signed on the 13th of sure. December. So they get him up to Rangertown. Yeah. It's going to be just amazing. And we do we do have some uh, Binghamton Devils news for local folks in the 607. Uh, it was announced today by the team, specifically uh, Executive Vice President of Operations Tom Mitchell, uh, that they ha- have announced that four of the team's upcoming home games in the 2019-2020 season will be broadcast locally on television through the My 8 channel. Okay. Uh, the upcoming TV broadcast scheduled now, if you're in the Binghamton 607 area and you have the channel My 8, you tune to that channel on these dates, you'll be able to watch the Binghamton Devils games. Uh, the games are this coming Wednesday, uh, December 18th against the Rochester Americans, game time 7.05. Uh, Wednesday, January 15th uh, against the Cleveland Monsters, game time 7.05. Wednesday, February 12th uh, against the Syracuse Crunch, game time 7.05. And then Wednesday, March 18th against the Lehigh Valley Phantoms, game time 7.05. You'll be able to watch those on TV in the Binghamton area. Yo, you need a uh, color commentary. Devils oh, holler at me. We know a guy. So I know, know somebody who can do it. La- lacrosse. Hey, you know it's transitional hockey. You uh-huh. know, I might, I might know two or three, three things about hockey. Sure. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah might, I might uh, send a little tweet ski. I yeah. think, I think you should. We'll definitely get that uh, hashtag, Coach Devils. Yeah, we'll do something kind of creative like that. So, Coach, why don't you take us to our local local minute here? Yes, the uh, Binghamton Bulldogs were actually off this week. Oh. Uh, the Bulldogs were essentially hosting the Harper Stance uh, basketball tournament to raise money on the uh, tragic incident that happened last year in the Binghamton area. Uh, apparently, uh, was a rage a raving success. Yeah, they right. had a great turnout, uh, great fan support. Uh, shout out to them for you know always willing to do something for the community. Uh, their next game is uh, West uh, Saturday, seven oh five start uh, against the Westchester Wildcats. It's Ugly Sweater Night, so ah. grab your ugly sweater and head down to St. Patrick's Gym uh, over in Binghamton and uh, be on the lookout for a good time there. And then uh, some other additional ABA news. Yeah, big news. The Syracuse Stallions signed former Bulldog Kyrie Sutton. Okay. Devastating. Huge. Huge. Devastating signing. I mean, that was, I mean, the whole whatever happened with Jimmy's situation, Jimmy Gray there, you know, that was tough. But now, Kyrie, that's just a real kick in the pants. You took the one-two punch of the Bulldogs the year they went to Texas for the Elite Eight. Yep. And now you've added them to an Ari Stack Syracuse squad. My only question is this. I saw the ABA rankings, and the Bulldogs, I believe, are number five. Yep. Syracuse is number four. Yep. Who is the one team that beats Syracuse? Because they're 7-1. and one. I believe it was Wyoming. 
Okay, who was undefeated? Yeah, which yeah. has to be because the fact they had one loss and they go go get Sutton. I mean, hey, we, they weren't happy about that loss. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, it's going to be a show January 11th. I can't stress it enough. If you got a chance to get to the we got to get tickets yeah, now. We, we they just posted that they're selling out like hotcakes here. Yeah, so we got to place like a tweet or an email or something to reserve. Like, do you need the money now? I'll get you the money now. Yeah, I mean, that's what the tweet, that's what Jimmy posted on the Binghamton Bulldogs Facebook page for more information. Uh, yeah, you got to get on. We got to get on. <laughs> yeah, we got to get on. them. So if those tickets are on sale, we got to jump on them quick, yeah. like after the show. Okay. <laughs> so we will make that happen. So for rounding the bases, we are going to let Coach kick off because I know he's been wanting to talk about a certain somebody. Yeah, I just I wanted to give uh, a farewell. You know, if uh, Ken we or Pat, we can get some romantic, you know, some music uh, in the background here. You realize who you're talking to about Eli Manning? Uh, yeah, I mean, I know that. Listen, I know <laughs> Eli, Eli ain't getting shit. I know he me. cost you some years off your life, but I mean, for me, this the man, man is, the man is dead to me. I hold near and dear to my heart. Uh, you know, growing up, I was always told that the Giants would never win a Super Bowl in my lifetime. That's what was instilled in me at a young age. You know, I had to I had to deal with David Brown and Kent Graham, Danny Cannell. It's not. It wasn't. It wasn't good. It was not good times. And all of a sudden, this man demanded a trade from the then San San Diego Chargers. Demanded the trade. Wanted to be in New York. The Giants opted to make that trade. Sure, they lost out on Danian Tomlinson. Sure, they lost out on Philip Rivers. Who cares? Because what was given in return was the man, the myth, the legend, Eli Manning. His early years cost me much grief with bad turnovers and, and costly, costly interceptions. But he brought me two Super Bowls and possibly the greatest, happiest moment in my life. I always say that outside of my kid's birth, there's only one other thing that makes me happy, and that was the Giants winning that Super Bowl in 07. Because I never thought that was going to happen, and Eli brought that championship by the skin on his uh, hair on his chinny chin chin. Because my God, that mouth breather almost lost it, <laughs> and he got out of that sack somehow, some way, and threw that through that pass to David Tyree, and that gum so well placed by Justin Timberlake, just ever so well done, was able to stick that. The ball to his helmet pad right now is and immense. Eli Manning career 500 win percentage. Yeah, whatever. I don't care because there's two Super Bowls and two Super Bowl MVPs in there. And I mean, what the what the Giants organization has done to him in the last two years, you know, has really been frustrating and borderline disrespectful. You know, or at least the last three years. You know, with the benching and the ending of his uh, consecutive game start streak. I mean, at the end of the day, yeah, he might not have been the greatest quarterback of all time, but what he did for this franchise was something that not a lot of quarterbacks had done before. You know, he was a Walter Payton man of the year um, two years ago. So, you know, the, there's things that he was doing also outside of the, the football field in New York. And the guy wanted to be here at a time when people wanted nothing to do with the Giants. And not to say that he was what turned around this franchise because I think Tom Coughlin had a lot to do with it. Oh, he, he and I think, certainly did. And I think yeah. Ernie Accorsi had a lot to do with it too. But those men together in the same room were what able to ship and shape the Giants into the franchise that they were for the next 10 years. Um, and, you know, obviously with what's going on now, it's just it's terrible. And, you know, all the, all the haters and the just the naysayers, these people that are just bashing Eli, you know, especially if you're a Giants fan. I mean, come on. Like, grow up. You know, I mean, 
there's so many teams that, you know, people, they would love to have one Super Bowl win in their lifetime. And Eli got you two. So you can't sit here and say, oh, you know, he's held the franchise back because, to be honest with you, the franchise set the franchise back. This isn't anything to have to do with Eli. This has to do with missed uh, signings, missed draft picks, missed uh, free you know releases. This has to do with what the franchise has done, and it you know it was great the fact that the team came out there, you know they rallied behind him, albeit they might have cost them the chance to get Chase Young if he does come out of the draft, which breaks my heart. Um, but you know they were able to rally and get that last home win for him, and and. You know what? I was all right with it. As much as I wanted the Giants to lose, because at this point it's a mute point. You know, I want Chase Young on the Giants. I want to make sure that we're in a position to get Chase Young uh, on the team. Uh, seeing them rally behind Eli and and be able to pull out a win for him just goes to show what he means in the locker room. And if it was the last time that he goes out, I'm fine with it. Well said. I just I had to, I had. To, yeah, but if you touch had, on that. Yeah, but if you had Philip Rivers, you would have had another thirty touchdowns and fifty fewer interceptions. Yeah, but we would have had two less Super Bowls. Hey, you don't know. You do. I you mean, know what, that. hey, what's Philip Rivers' record against uh, the New England Patriots? Uh, offhand, I cannot tell you. Bad. But he has a great bolo tie. He does, and he has about seventeen kids. Oh, so wow. good for him. That being said. Had, you want to talk a little wrestling to kind of brighten your spirits up? Because I know you're, you're fuming right <laughs> We're now. We're talking about TLC. I don't, I'm not sure it's going to brighten it up any. No, I mean, we got to say, because uh, I know some fans have been asking about why we haven't talked wrestling lately. Really hasn't been a lot going on. Not a lot so, going on. So, so It's kind of like a dead period. No, I mean, if you really want to catch up with some wrestling uh, product, definitely go over to our hashtag 607 podcast brethren over at Three Fat Nerds. They've been doing the wrestling show. They've been absolutely killing it. I was actually on a uh, previous episode a couple weeks ago. I know Coach Duffy and Pat are going to be making their appearances in 2020. Yeah. So we definitely are going to be making that happen. But really, there hasn't been a lot. I mean, Rich has been deep diving into a lot of stuff that's been going on. But this weekend's TLC was kind of a, a very lackluster pay-per-view. And I'll, I'll, be honest, I'll be honest. I'll be honest. Partially because we didn't know what the card was until, like, the goddamn day of. Yeah. But the matches we did know, I had no interest in it. And I'll be, I'll be the first to admit it. I didn't watch. I saw the highlights. I watched some of the clips off of YouTube. I looked at some of the reactions of what people were in the GIFs on, on Twitter. You know, but I did not watch because I had no interest or urge in any of the matches. The only thing that was really moving the needle for me was Buddy Murphy and Alistair Black. That was a hell of a match. That was amazing. Like, those two are, you could make a cornerstone for them moving forward on one of the shows. I fully believe that. I think Murphy has had one of the most underrated 2019s mm-hmm. of anybody that's on the roster. And Alistair Black has been lost in the shuffle since they broke him up with Ricochet. So to yeah. see him get back on screen and where they're going to go with him and his character, you know, I'm all for. You know what will be good this week, though? NXT kicking off with Finn Balor versus Adam Cole, baby. Yes. For the NXT championship, kicking off NXT, and if I read correctly, will be commercial-free, that yep. match. Yes, and I believe it's also Shayna Baszler and Rhea Ripley. Yep. Uh-huh, that's main eventing. So they are stacking it. I am not sure what AEW has stacked that I night. don't care. Not Adam Cole yeah. versus uh, Finn Balor, commercial-free. No, uh, it, it definitely isn't. So I watched TLC, and yeah, it was bad. It just the problem was it just felt like a coast of a pay per view. Yeah, and I mean when you have the network, ultimately those are shows that you might get because now the buy rates aren't important. Um, my actually takeaway was the Bray Wyatt and uh, Miz match with Bray Wyatt coming out as the Firefly Funhouse host versus coming out as the Fiend, which I thought was a very very good 
um, uh, growth for his character. Yeah, I agree. I really like the idea of him now having that because it's the same thing with Finn Balor when he had the demon. You know, there yeah. was moments ultimately where that demon was now more important. And since Bray had been the fiend, the fiend, the fiend, to see him come out as the host of the the Firefly uh, Funhouse, I thought just added another dimension to the character and the the intrigue and, and excitement was i mean at the end of the day it's a mask that he puts on so really they could dim the lights have him go underneath the you know the ring put on the mask and all of a sudden he's the fiend so that type of stuff you know that keeps the character interesting and the daniel bryan coming out looking yeah, like the he american was, dragon yeah like american dragon and that's the same thing i said when i saw him i was like oh my god it's dragon daniel bryan um that was awesome. I think now, and I was I was right on this with the whole yes movement being the catalyst that was able to empower him uh, to be able to beat the fiend. I think that this is setting up a very long play mm-hmm. for the WWE that ultimately might lead to a WrestleMania match between them, trying to capture some of that yes movement stuff back into Mania, or even you know maybe a Miz heel turn. I'm wondering about a theory I heard, and I know Rich from 3FN talked about this on his show, and, and I want your guys' take. Okay. All right, so on Bray's gloves, he has hurt and heel. Right. Uh-huh. Now, if you want to search back to when he debuted as the Fiend and went against Finn, uh-huh. for anyone that he gave the mandible claw with the hurt hand, sure. they turned heel. Hmm. For anybody that they he gave with the heel on his glove, they've turned face. Huh. From where they've what? been. Somebody's got way too much time on this. Yeah. Somebody's got a lot of time yeah. on their hands. So Holy crap. Something to notice, and if you really want to go backtrack and go find out, yeah, if they're trying to say that the Fiend has supernatural powers, it's this wild theory. Like Rich was telling me about this That's on the show. Crazy. Somebody's got way too much time. Yeah, and like I kind of want to get your opinions now that I'm planting the seed in to watch the hand now. Yeah, I'm definitely going to be taking note of that because, well, I mean... It's going to be hard to see, though, because the camera gets shaked and the music <laughs> right, gets but, playing but, and then but, you get but, the strobe light. But somebody will be on Twitter and yeah. posting that. To, so. to say Finn is a heel right now, though, well, uh, he's a little bit of a tweener. Right, right. A little bit. But we've seen kind of an edgier, edgier Finn. Edgier Finn, yes. So, But he's not so like happy-go-lucky, smiling Finn. Sure, see, this sure. Is, this is where we kind of have to watch. So I'm now challenging you moving forward. Yeah, definitely. To I, watch this because like, when Rich told me, I was like, wait, what? Mental note. Yeah, watch the hands and the glove and which one gives the mandible claw. Okay. And, and then, then you'll see where the character goes from there. Yeah, I wonder, the first so which one did he it. give Seth? Must he, have given him the, the hurt, hurt. He gave him the hurt, and that's what turned him. Whoa. Yeah, this is like next level. All right. Because my parody take thing was big. This is like, yeah. Because that's some real. I mean, for Bray to have that much. Yeah, I mean, because you're in the heat of the action. Like, to be able to think, all right, where's this character? Because, I mean, it's not like the writers are like, you uh-huh. know, ultimately like, oh, he gave him the heel hand, make him a heel. Like, you know, like he, you know, must know where the character's going or something. And, like, he's got to know which hand to use like that's nuts it's a wild take and like i said when rich told me and he and he talked about this on the show you can go through the 3fn backlog for the wrestling shows you can hear him talk about this it's a wild take and it but it makes sense and yeah. it's like everybody that he's done that to the first time he's done it to like whatever hand that is that's where the direction that's the character sick goes. It's that's so, so it, sick. It's so next level. Like yeah, and he was and, cause and I, everybody I, says WWE can't write. Well, no, because I I said that too. I go, well, you think the writers would do that? And Rich was even going, you think how much Bray has thought about this character? He was talking about the Fiend five years ago, right? In promos, hell yeah, this he's thinking about this like next level. 
Bray's just a genius. Yeah, obviously. Why isn't he just writing the shows? Fuck everybody else. You don't need Paul or Bruce. Just have Bray Wyatt write the matches and stuff. When he retires, he'll be head writer, <laughs> and it'll be glorious. I think that's all we can really talk about wrestling this week. I mean, Raw didn't really move the needle, and Wednesday night is going to be a big night for NXT and AEW. Fill more seats because they gave a bad camera shot that showed rows of empty mm-hmm. seats. Oh, awkward. Rose, you can find it online. So, But they sold 100,000 tickets. Oh, yeah. Oh, they can, have five-star matches. You can go back and forth about it, but the, that camera did not lie. And yeah. I know the spin job they were trying to talk about it, and it's like, I don't everybody, know. Everybody, here, I got it. Nobody, I, everybody in that section won a prize, and everybody at that same time was going to claim the prize because you only had a certain time limit. That's why it was empty, guys. I solved, problem solved. It was obvious. <laughs> Co- coaches busting theories left and right. Yeah, it was very obvious they must have given out an award at that time. Like, come redeem your free thing of popcorn. Everybody, you know, you only have five minutes to do it, and you had to do it at that time because who wants to miss out on free popcorn? So you got to go get your free popcorn. Plausible theory. I'm going to run with that. So we're going to have to see what happens this Wednesday if uh, everybody's got free no popcorn. there's no way AEW wouldn't sell out, Ken. It's A-E freaking W. Chris Jericho is the goddamn champion. That puts butts in the seats. I'm sorry, sir. I'm sorry I doubted you. <laughs> no. I mean, <laughs> really? Yeah, I, AEW, like we, we've talked about this on, I know three of us talked about it, and I know we've talked about it off, off air. They got a lot of work to do, and they really got to get out. They have are now out of the honeymoon phase, so now let's see what you got. And at this stage, they got to do something in the production because that is just bad right now. Very, very bad. So that being said, let us get into those locks and leaps. Now, do you want me to kick off, or does somebody else want to take the reins here? It's up to you. I mean, you're the host. Make the call. All right, so I will do it to kick off. Okay. I usually, last couple times I've gone last, I've tied. So my lock this week, I am taking Kansas City Sunday night at Chicago. Five-point okay. favorites. It's easy um, money. Yeah, Tr- Trubisky doesn't scare me, and even against Kansas City's defense. Uh, could possibly be for uh, playoff seating. So. Spagnola could dial up something sinister. Yeah, so I'm waiting to see what he does there. And for my leap, Philly, don't let me down. Don't uh, let me down. I know that some of the other podcasts uh, chime in when we talk football. Shout out to Bill and Frankie Pop Culture. That are big Philly fans are going to be glued to their TVs at 4 o'clock for this game. Philly... Needs, needs this win to lock up the division because if they lose to Dallas, I'm not saying they're going to be out of the playoffs, but it's going to be kind of you need some luck to get in. So I am taking Philly plus three. So let's see what we get. Pad, what you got for yours? Uh, for my lock, I'm looking at the Sunday 1, Sunday one o'clock game. Uh, it is the Baltimore Ravens going up against the Cleveland Browns. Currently, Baltimore is a 10-point favorite, and as awful as Cleveland is, I can't imagine them beating Baltimore. You know, it, it's it's going to be ugly. Can I make a side uh, over-under? Sure. How many players are going to ask to get traded or get me out of here? How many are on a roster? Take that minus uh, one. That's going to be the one person that doesn't want to trade. Fair enough. Cleveland is a mess right now. Uh-huh. Kitchens needs to go. Yep. And then uh, my leap happens to be the same as yours. Uh, oh, going Philly. Going Philly. I think Dallas is just, they don't know who the hell they are. I don't know what, if they know what they're going to do. You know, I think the slide and inevitable loss of the division is going to start now. Fair enough. Coach, who you got? I, too, am going to go Baltimore over the Browns. I think that Baltimore has not forgotten that sour taste and that loss that they had to Cleveland earlier in the season Uh that uh, Baltimore will look to avenge. 
because this is a different Baltimore team now. Everything's clicking, and Cleveland is just a absolute a mess. mess. It is, it is absolutely pathetic. My leap, fellas, 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 fellas. Nobody circles them wagons Ooh. like the goddamn Buffalo Bills. I'm taking the Bills. Six and a half points. I don't necessarily think they are going to win, Ken, but I think they are going to cover that spread. I definitely see this a three-point game either way. Where is the game? Fox in Bur- New England. Foxborough. In New England, okay. baby. Okay. I'm calling my shot. Bless your I, heart. I listen. Ball, New England losing twice two I games know. in a row in Foxborough in December. I don't think that's ever happened. Sure, but this is a different Buffalo team, Ken. This is a different team. They're six and one on the road. They like to play away from home. They're not afraid to go into the tough stadiums and win. They did it last week against Pittsburgh. New England right now, obviously the secondary is elite, but their run defense is terrible. Singletary is an absolute beast in that Buffalo backfield. Frank Gore is having a resurgence right now, especially late in the second half of the year. Uh Buffalo's defense right now is getting after the quarterback. I mean, you named them earlier. Oliver might be in Tom Brady's face all day. Tom, that, that offensive line is almost as bad, if not worse, than the Giants' yeah, offensive Tredavious line. Yeah, is going to be flying around that backfield. They have no run game to help support him. Julian Edelman might be out, potentially. I mean, I know he got injured last game. I don't think he came back in, right? No, um, I don't remember. I don't believe so. Yeah, so, I mean, who knows what's going on there. I mean, I'm sure that we'll find out more as the week goes on with practice reports and everything. So, a lot of things in Buffalo's favor. I like you. You're all right. I don't know. You're all right, Coach. And you know what? I just want to take a lean. I, I mean, I'm I'm out, you know, so I'm just firing shots, baby. I tell you what, it's going to be a tough game. Not saying it's unwinnable, but I want to really see how – the Bills are going to rebound against a Patriots team that is on the ropes right now, and that's a fair statement. Not yeah. Taking, not taking <laughs> oh, yeah. Look, yeah. Listen, Ken, Josh, don't kill me. Don't kill me. But Dude, I'm just saying. The rage has been built up since your whole like OTE lie, so I, I'm, trying, <laughs> I'm trying to calm the young Padawan down. The, the thing with the Bills is if they can go in there and establish the run game, they should have a good chance to, to hang in there because the first game was close until Josh Allen was taken out. Hell, I mean, what, it was – like set three three right until that block punt something like that yeah, yeah. it was like it was a dog fight so they're gonna show up for it because first place in the AFC East is potentially on the line here so the Bills need this game but the Patriots need this game as well and it's gonna be a challenge it's not gonna be in any easy game but Pat has hit some numbers on the head I'm not saying the Bills are gonna lose because the Bills are my team but I'm just saying for this the Bills need to play a perfect game Josh Allen needs to be really careful with the ball around Stephen Gilmore. Mm-hmm. And then let the run game do its thing. If there is a time for Buffalo to show that they are true, yeah, and they are a real it. contender, it's this game. And this is it. I mean, obviously they have a playoff spot locked up, so you can't say it's make or break. No, but I mean, as far as uh, this is uh, this is the season being a success. My God, words! This is a game that I think they have to win. Because yeah. I think that this is the game that they can hang their hat on going into the playoffs and say, whoever we have to play in the opening round, we just beat New England at home week 16 of the regular season. We can play and beat anybody. It'd be a huge task. And this is I, I and fully agree with you because they hung with Baltimore. So Let me give you a little bit of, of fun history here too because there's another certain team that was very good on the road that had an end-of-the-game year against the Giants or end-of-the-year game against the Patriots. 
fuck, I ruined it. It was the Giants. But they had an end-of-the-year game against the Patriots, played them very hard week 17 for that that undefeated season. Patriots ended up blowing them out in the second half. What happened later on? I like where Believe it. Believe it. I really, really do. I I mean, even if they don't. (laughs) High five. even, Even if they don't. I still, if they play them competitively going into the playoffs, I really, really think that this Buffalo Bills team has a little bit of that magic that might actually make a run. I really, really do. And I don't know if I want to believe it just because the Giants are so out of it that I'm just f- 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 hanging my Giants hat on. Giants are out of it. Knicks are out of it. Yeah, you my, life, got, ain't got nothing my life is it. so down right now that I'm – and Nordames in the Camping World Bowl against fucking Idaho State. I, I mean, I don't, uh, Iowa State, you know. I think I'm just so down right now that I'm just like – I'm trying to hang my hat Duke on sucks. something. To, yeah, fuck. I'm just like anything I can hang out, on. Yeah. Anything I can hang my hat on holy to shit, right holy now. Shit, wait a minute, Kyle Parry signing with the Knicks. Yeah, anything I can <laughs> just hook on to. I'm just grasping with straws right now, and I think Buffalo might be my straw that actually pulls me up so I can breathe a little bit. I'll, I'll make sure I get you an extra table for Saturday. All right, perfect. We'll we'll, we'll take it down to the X. I'm sure Musales <laughs> come in there and maybe we'll be able to break some stuff before the game. We'll have to make that happen. Locks and leaves gonna be real fun this week. So definitely remember the game starts Saturday for the NFL this week. No Thursday nights anymore. It's gonna be Saturday. So let's see. Everything's off. I don't have a list in front of me. Let's see what I can remember here. The music you heard on this episode is that of Fair City Fire. Now our good friend Brian Wolf is gonna be playing locally in at Ransom Steel Tavern. I believe it's the twenty eighth of December. So he's on a he's gonna be opening up for Devin Myers. It's gonna be a really good show. So if you can get out to it locally, definitely check it out. If you're international and listening, how do I hear that Fair City Fire? You ask. Huh, look no further than FairCityFire.com, or why don't you stop by OchoDuroParleyHour.com slash music? You can find them. You can find Shout Out the Robots. You can find Honker. You can find Walking Distance, Floodlands, all the great music you hear on the ODPH. Also remember check out the ODPH directory where you can find friends of the show such as three fat nerds such as horizon 607 8122 productions which i have said this once and i will say this again because we did talk with derek about what is coming for love is scary episode two it's behind a patreon wall for a reason i cannot even give a spoiler i can just give a fact if you give them one dollar you will get your money's worth and then some because what derek has lined up for episode two I know Mike is not ready for. I will give that spoiler, and I know Mike listens to the show. You're not ready for what Derek is going to do with that open microphone. He is saying hashtag challenge accepted all day. He wants that smoke, and he is going to get some. And if you're trying to say, well, wait, how do I find out about this? 8122productions.com and look for the Patreon link. Get signed up. It is well worth your money. And you can also find out other friends of the show, such as Off the Cuff Gaming, which Tom is going to be back on the Entertainment Edition very, very shortly. So shout out to him. Find out about Excite Wrestling. They have a big show coming up. Cage match January 4th. Finn is going to be in attendance, Coach. We are all coming out for that one. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be a wild show. They just posted the full card online, so ExciteWrestling.com or Excite Wrestling on Facebook. Either, I can't wait to see a cage in the new center. Yeah, it's going to be absolutely bananas that night. I don't even know what to expect. I don't even think that everybody that's going to be in attendance is going to be able to handle a steel cage in the X. It's going to be a wild night. Especially with Matt Tremont in the the ring yeah tremont stockade like is gonna that be, thing better be reinforced reinforced and i wonder if they're gonna try putting a top on it they might need to 
They might need to. I don't. Moose has not told me. Moose has been saying he's going to swing by the show at some point, so maybe we can pry some information out of him before the 4th. I don't know because it's holiday time. We're going to see him down at the Star Wars premiere this Thursday, so we'll have to kind of you know see what we can pry out of him. He usually likes talking a couple spoilers, so we'll have to see. But where do you find out about all this? On the ODPH directory on OchoDuroParleyHour.com. You can also find our group list that we are on, such as hashtag 607podcast, PodNation, what's going on, guys? And next wave you can find the pod chaser list links on the front page as well as parlay points the complimentary blogs to all the odph episodes new stuff is coming out this week especially over the holiday time we're gonna be writing a little more because the schedules are gonna get a little crazy so all of that ochoduroparleyhour.com because that is all i got for this week at least i don't think i forgot anything did i no. All right. I'll take that as a win. So for your coach, my coach, the coach, Coach Duffy. Good night and good luck. For the one and only Padawan J. John Calipari, still coaching Kentucky. I'm your host, Ken M. Thank you, as always, for listening to the OTPH podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. See you next time.